but you've put them on the defensive, and now they're the ones trying to explain the nuances of their position to the masses. And on top of that, their position is morally reprehensible. So you could see why that would be a damn tempting alternative, right? Leave the new law in place, but add protections to it. Problem with that is that the net that they threw was always way wider than the group they were trying to catch. It had to be for them to have any plausible deniability about the goals of the law to begin with, right? So if, for example, you pass a law that says landlords have the right to refuse rent to people whose lifestyles conflict with their sincerely held religious beliefs, adding protection for LGBTQ people only solves part of the problem. It might be the part of the law that they were going for in the first place, but it will still allow for discrimination against, say, unmarried couples or or, or people with tattoos or, or, or people who wear mixed fabrics. Anybody the religious people don't want to rent to, really. And look, this is just one example of how even a well-intentioned effort to rebuild what Trump tore down could fall short. The evangelicals had their little shadow government working behind the scenes through all of Trump's dumpster fire distractions with Pence and McConnell just steadily eroding any perceived threat to Christian hegemony. It'll take us years just to figure out what all we've lost. And, and, and I don't know how one measures this kind of thing, right? Like how many pounds of rights did we lose? How many gigabytes of freedom or whatever? But the most tempting scale is time. Like like the rights of secular Americans, our, our freedom from religion, is the worst it's been at any point in my lifetime. So it's tempting to say that we've lost at least 45 years worth of progress. You know, that it would take at least that long just to claw our way back to where we were. Now, the good news is that that's probably not the right way to measure it, right? Because 45 years ago, there wasn't us. There, there weren't people who so vividly remembered a time when religious freedom didn't mean granting extra rights to religious people. And people who remember that religion was able to thrive even before we started pumping taxpayer money into their coffers. There wasn't a robust atheist movement that could draw on so many people across the country to join in their fight 45 years ago. Now, look, I've watched the atheist movement get beat the fuck up over the last few years, often deservedly. I talk to listeners pretty regularly who say they still listen to our show and, and maybe a few other podcasts, but they don't really consider themselves part of the atheist movement anymore. And I honestly, I, I get that. A lot of us turned out to be really shitty people, and there's only so many times you can see that happen before you want to write the group off as a whole. But but the stakes have been raised too much for that. Right? The right thing to do was never to walk away. It was to push the assholes out. And we've never needed you to do that more. We were left out of Biden's national call for unity. And it's only by uniting ourselves first that we're going to fight our way back in. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight is the bust of my Woody, Eli Bosnick. Eli, are you ready to take off? To indignity and beyond. I'm pretty sure that's not how it goes. Uh, it is if you've only seen the porn. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I still have to Google that. Before we get rolling tonight, I should probably acknowledge that Heath is not here again this week. A few of you reached out to see if uh, he'd quit the show or ripped his dick off by accident. Again. Or otherwise abdicated his position. So for the record, he has not. Unfortunately, his dad's health has taken a turn for the worse, and uh, he's been with his family lending whatever support he can, which may mean he's in and out for the next little bit. But he appreciates your support as his family goes through all of this. He may also have ripped his dick off again, though. We have no way of knowing. Well, I thank you for the classy follow-up there, Eli. And on that note, we're going to pause for a word from our first sponsor this week, Stamps.com. 
value his take. Yeah, warm. No, no, not too warm. Yeah, you don't say. Eli, what what are you doing? Oh, hey, no, I was just practicing my small talk in the mirror. Your small talk? Yeah, you know, now that it's 2021, pretty soon I'm going to have to interact with people again. So, you know, grocery shopping, the mall, the post office. Well, I mean, you can skip the hassle of the post office. Wait, I can? You sure can with stamps.com. What's stamps.com? Well, Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer, wherever you are. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Oh, yeah. We actually use Stamps.com to send all our Patreon rewards, and it's really easy. Sure is. You can use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, Anywhere you want to send. Once your mail's ready, you schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. Plus, with Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off of priority mail and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Wow, 62% off UPS shipping rates. That is great. Yeah, so make 2021 the year you stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with our promo code SCATHING, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. You just have to go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SCATHING. That's Stamps.com, promo code SCATHING. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. All right, Noah. I will check that out. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. So you wanna you wanna show me your small talk skills? I sure do. All right. Um nice weather we're having. Sell me pictures of your feet. Okay. Sell me pictures of your feet, please. No. And now back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, the only word in radical Christian terrorism that you can take issue with regards to the Capitol riot is radical. Because one could convincingly argue that the level of lawless, reality-starved arrogance is mainstream, if not mandatory, in the ranks of American Christianity today. Yet even as many Christian pundits back away from their initial stance that the riots weren't terrorism, they've only shifted over to claiming now that they weren't Christian. And that became a much harder bridge to sell this week when the New Yorker released a video showing, among other things, a group of the terrorists breaking into a spontaneous, ecstatic, and explicitly Christian prayer. Come on, Christians. Even Axe Body Spray's Twitter was like, yeah, those are our customers. They suck. Sorry. <laughs> no, of course, neither the prayer video nor the prevalence of banners that all but had we're storming the Capitol building because Jesus scrawled all over them would be enough to stop Christians from denying any kind of culpability. Indicative of their stance was a recent piece in Charisma News where radio host and apologist Michael Brown argued that the Capitol riots weren't Christian at all, quote, not at least in any true sense of the word. End quote. (laughs) He then argues that the notion that they're Christian will be disproven once it comes out that all or most of them are members of either white supremacist groups or white nationalist groups, because near universal membership in the same group simultaneously proves and disproves the culpability of that group, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, you can't be an elk and a fucking Shriner at the same time or whatever. He's just like, we may never know why the KKK burns a lowercase t as a threat. (laughs) It's a mystery. Yeah, to to be clear, 
there were Christian flags of multiple varieties. And if you weren't aware that was a thing, I can't blame you. But as a regular attendee at atheist conferences, I can tell you there are plenty of them. <laughs> there were Christian banners. There were prayers along the way to the Capitol building, prayers during the insurrection, prayers afterwards. The New York Times noted a mock campaign banner that said Jesus 2020, armor of God patches on several of the terrorists and a white cross with the words Trump won in all caps. And that's far from an exhaustive fucking list. And again, that's all what we were talking about before we saw them calling on the name of Jesus from the Senate chambers. Yep. And can I just say how baffling and frustrating this is as someone who's been talking about the dangers of religion since before Trump was president? Yeah. I mean, look, you're listening to this podcast, so you get it. But we've been saying, hey, the Christians are gearing up to be terrorists. And the Christians have been saying, hey, we're gearing up to be terrorists. And the New York Times is like, no fucking idea how this happened. Yeah. Let's interview a few more idiots. Maybe one of them will say their name backwards and zoop back into their own dimension. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I should say the New Yorker video isn't all bad news. A considerable chunk of the runtime is spent on a concerted effort to set a big pile of metal on fire with a Zippo. <laughs> they do. <laughs> so if worse comes to worse, it is comforting to know that we'll, you know, we've at least got a 50-50 shot of fooling them with the what's that over there trick. But as I diatribed about last week, at its worst, stupidity is way more dangerous than intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we should be nothing but terrified by the idea that people in our country who started at Space Carpenter Save My Brain Ghost from the Goat Monster are growing less connected to reality. <sighs> yeah. And in hey news. <laughs> thank you. Tired of Christian idiots getting all the credit for spreading COVID and vaccine denial, Orthodox Rabbi Daniel Asor threw his sweaty weird Jew hat in the ring this week when he told his followers on social media not to take the COVID vaccine because it will turn them gay. Well, if if you motherfuckers would just drink more high C, it never would have come to this, Daniel. <laughs> exactly. So, according to the news outlet Israel Hayom, a sore who looks like Dan from the How to Heretic and thank God I'm atheist, committed to his pandemic beard, told his followers, <laughs> "quote Any vaccine made using an embryonic substrate, and we have evidence of this, causes." Opposite tendencies. What? That's Jew code for gayness, I guess. Okay. Vaccines are taken from an embryonic substrate, and they did that here, too. So it can cause opposite tendencies, end quote. Okay. I mean, not that it's unique to him or anything, but I, I just want to point out that Rabbi Daniel Lasor comes from an embryonic substrate. I, I'm not sure what he's trying to tell us, guys. But. Wink. But the follow-up to this story is amazing. So apparently even the Orthodox Jewish community hates Asor as much as his button-down shirt seems to. Oh, it's, it's like you're trying not to dance with him at a nightclub. <laughs> it is. Right. So everyone hates this guy. And according to the Jerusalem Post, quote, Havruta, an organization that acts to promote tolerance and acceptance of LGBTQ people in Haredi society. So atheists? Yeah, atheists. Said it was, quote, Currently gearing up to welcome our impending new members. <laughs> so, yeah, congrats to Bill Gates for enacting his plan to turn all the Orthodox Jews gay and make next year's pride a lot less colorful. <laughs> all coming together. There you go. 
They'll get the rainbow back, damn it. <laughs> Speaking of which, in poll-watching news, fantastic for the Americans who think ours is the only country that spent the last few years being taken over by unhinged Christian extremists, I'd like to remind everybody that Poland <laughs> and their accelerating descent into full-blown theocracy was on full display last week when the trial began for three women accused of blasphemy. Specifically, they're on trial for hanging up posters that depicted the Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus with rainbow halos, thereby endorsing the heretical impiety of implying Christians shouldn't hate gay people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike Pence is just sitting cross-legged in front of the TV. Man, I could have done that, too. I got to talk to these guys earlier next time. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. So uh, three women, Elspieta Podlesna, Anna Proust, and Joanna Zaira Skandar Podlesna, apologies for the rampant mispronunciations there, started their trial last Wednesday. Leader of the so-called Law and Justice Party, Jaroslaw Kaczynski, whose name I do not apologize for mispronouncing, justified the charge by calling the felonious inhaling, quote, a direct attack on the family and children, the sexualization of children, that entire LGBT movement. Gender is a direct attack on gender, too. Adding that the posters, quote, actually threaten our identity, our nation, its continuation, and therefore the Polish state. End quote. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and, and somehow the fact that his country is so fragile that it could be taken out by a nominally gay poster seems to be of less concern to him than the poster itself. Yeah. As the old saying goes, if the existence of your family is threatened by gay people, either you're gay or you have sponge-painted walls. Either way, you deserve it. You deserve <laughs> it. And in Unforeseen Perks news tonight, as Christian leaders across our nation scramble to distance themselves from themselves hate mm -hmm. group leader and worst thing that can be described as a perk tony perkins is finding the brighter side of the second impeachment of donald trump because that according to tony at least is when donald can prove his case for election fraud oh he'll finally have a platform of some sort <laughs> so far he's been stymied by just not saying it out loud but he's got it it's right there under his tax return and his Health care plans, it, it, it's going to blow this election wide open right after it's too late. <laughs> yes, so appearing in front of a branded hate group banner like a very serious person who should be taken very seriously, Perkins said, quote, here's the double-edged sword for Democrats, is that if the president has a trial, he can present evidence, and part of that evidence may be what has not been seen yet about this past election. So they need to be careful the platform they give the president, end quote. Well, but, like, he's allowed to present evidence now. <laughs> he can do that. But, and, and what's amazing about this is that in that instance, he wouldn't be. I mean, it's not like no. he'd just be able to go up there and talk about whatever he wants, you know. <laughs> he has to, like answer questions and shit, and if he starts going on about his bullshit election conspiracies, they're allowed to just tell him to shut up and move on. <laughs> Mr. President, 20 minutes of whatever the fuck you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's going to happen, by the way. So really looking forward to that testimony if we get it. Either way, Perkins has obviously made a great point here. And one that I certainly hope he does not keep making, given the chances that Donald Trump can only do extremely good things for himself and his administration by testifying in front of the Senate. So, yeah, let's hope the Democrats don't let him do that. Also, apropos of nothing, I don't even know why I'm bringing this up. Tony uh, 
please don't throw me into a briar patch. I am very... <laughs> if you happen to be around yeah. me and a briar patch. So, <laughs> yeah, so while we find out if Tony Perkins is too chicken to talk Trump into speaking under penalty of perjury, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our second sponsor this week, Zip Recruiter. Hi, I'm No Illusions. And I'm Eli Bosnick. And we've both been in charge of hiring people at various points in our lives. I was not great at it. No, you were not. And that's because finding a qualified candidate can be really difficult, especially during a pandemic. That's why there's ZipRecruiter. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over a 100 job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology scans thousands of resumes and profiles to send you the most qualified people for your job. So you never end up hiring a guy who, say, gets banned from the building you work at for peeing in the sink. To be fair, he was a great interview. And if you're really interested in a candidate, you can even invite them to apply for your job with one click. ZipRecruiter sends them an email from you, and you stand out from the competition. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site within the first day. Wow, that's way less time than the entire week I would spend interviewing out-of-work actors at the diner across the street. Ugh, yes, it is. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-C-A-T-H-I-N-G. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So no, so you spent a week at a diner? I mean, they had a good veggie burger. Did they? No. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate race. It means you're a slut, right? Hey, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. Well, damn it, I just can't bring myself to give you guys bad news today. By the time this comes out, we'll only be 19 hours into the Biden presidency, and I feel like y'all have earned some good news. And as much as that would normally mean my next line was about handing you back to the guys, I actually managed to find a few genuinely good news stories for you. So let's start with the obvious one. The vice president is a woman. And, like, that's second in command of the whole fucking country. Hell, given Biden's age, it's more like first and a half in command. And the awesome thing about breaking the glass ceilings that are that high is that the shards can actually fall on the ones below it. But hey, it's not just about our joy, it's also about their misery, am I right? Which is why my next story is about conservative Catholics losing their shit over women serving in mass. Pope Francis sent out a memo last week, except they have some fancy Latin word that means super-duper important memo, in which he slightly modified the canon law to say that women could serve as acolytes and lectors, which are fancy terms for minor parts in Catholic mass. Now, this isn't particularly new. Women have been serving in these roles all over the world since 1994. All Francis did was formalize that change by changing lay men to lay persons in a couple of the official paragraphs. And even that was enough to prompt plenty of voices within the church to freak the fuck out. Of course, the ability to take part in magic Jesus spells is hardly the most significant new right women have earned since last we spoke. I've missed the last couple of weeks, so I haven't been able to congratulate all the women's rights activists in Argentina who managed to end 2020 with a spectacular victory. After a 12-hour legislative session to close out the year, Argentina's Senate passed a law legalizing elective abortion up to the 14th week of pregnancy, and after that in cases of rape or danger to the mother's life. And sure, that's still shitty and overly restrictive, but it's a big improvement over where they were the day before. And in this segment, we've long since learned that if we didn't measure our victories on a relative scale, we'd have no victories to celebrate at all. 
Mike Cal finally electing our first female vice president 100 years after earning the right to vote, but only after passing on a perfectly qualified female president in favor of a racist carnival barker stops being cause for celebration when you think about it. So, yeah, a bunch of overdue shit happened, but that's kind of the theme of Inauguration Week already, so it seemed appropriate. And on that note, I'll hand things back over to Noah and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. Next up in headlines, a Democrat has been elected president. And while for most of our nation, that will mean an improved economy, lower unemployment, and positive social change, for us here at The Scathing Atheist, it means it's time for Focus on the Family founder, James Dobson, to write us a letter about what's coming that would make Chicken Little tell him to chill the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the hate group founder who got to start writing books in defense of hitting your children has some words of wisdom about ethics for us. Let's let's make sure we give him our full attention, class. (laughs) This guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So for those of you who aren't aware, Dobson does this every time a Democrat takes office. Most recently, he treated us to his letter from 2012 in Obama's America, which might as well have ended with the trans cyborgs are breaking through the door we made with Bibles as I write. We don't have much time. (laughs) And this year is no different. So, Noah, as we go through Dobson's predictions here, I'd like you to take a crack at true or false. Are you ready? Can I... Can I just say false now and save us some time? No, you cannot. Quote. I I, I can't. I edit the show, so I can. I'm just saying yes, I've sir. chosen yes, not to. If you hear nothing from this moment forward, listeners. <laughs> it's just the, the outro music kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Quote. The left has now achieved ultimate power in the White House, in the House of Representatives, and the Senate. True. True as fuck, you motherfucker. (laughs) Consequently, as I warned in December, there will be no checks and balances within our system of government. Sadly false. (laughs) The most radical ideas promoted by President Joe Biden and his majority party will be enacted. Early bird breakfast will start at 7 a.m. sharp, damn it. (laughs) We can infer. From what they have told us, that the years ahead will bring more regulation. Which is a euphemism for governance. Mm-hmm. Less freedom. False. More taxation. Hope so. Less religious liberty. Uh, false unless you define religious liberty the way he does. Mm-hmm. More socialism, less democracy. True and false, respectively. More funds for abortion, less support for the sanctity of human life. True and false again. Less funding for the military, more illegal immigration. Okay, now he's fucking up his pattern. <laughs> more restrictions on speech, less patriotism. Oh, okay, true, but only because 400,000 dead people can't talk now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More wasteful spending. I bet Hunter lets the Secret Service use his bathroom. <laughs> less support for families, more regulations on business, more appeasement of China, Iran, Russia, and North Korea. Uh, False, true, and the alternative is nuclear war, you asshole. (laughs) Fewer police officers. We can only hope. More gun control. We can only hope. (laughs) And less government of the people, by the people, (laughs) and for the people. What do you mean, you people? (laughs) Hold on. We can also anticipate quick passage of the horrendous Equality Act. (laughs) More equality would be another way of saying that, but yeah, true. You might want to keep track of these items as they occur. This is just the beginning. Oh, I certainly hope so. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so that's quite a series of predictions from French toaster dramas. But I bring this headline up for another couple of reasons. One, 
any chance to laugh at James Dobson, right? If mm-hmm. I could install a camera in his bathroom and laugh at him when he has like difficult shits, I would. But I also bring this up because when Donald Trump was elected, a lot of people on the right and even some on the left told us that we were freaking out over nothing. Right. And that Donald Trump wouldn't be so bad. And our concern was really just sore losership in disguise. But it's worth noting now that the shoe is on the other foot. I see a lot of sort of anti-Trump Republicans or the so-called bridge builders saying stuff like, remember how you felt in 2016? You know, be nice to Uncle Chuck. And I just want to take a moment to remind you, fuck that and fuck your Uncle Chuck, right? Uncle Chuck's deepest, darkest fears about the coming Biden Gestapo are that gay people will have rights. Yeah, he is terrified that our country will improve in ways that can't be erased next time an election swings the other way. And look, I am glad that he is scared about that shit. And if we're really really lucky and the democrats use the power they've been given instead of trying to compromise with the pigeon till he plays chess he fucking should be yeah yeah look motherfuckers the way i felt in 2016 was informed Mm -hmm. uncle chuck couldn't pick that shit out of a lineup Mm -mm. and finally tonight mike lindell is super sad right now yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Not only did he have to watch Trump very much not continue to be president on Wednesday and see his awesome coup plans completely ignored, even after he typed him up and brought him over there and everything, we also learned this week that pretty much every retailer on the planet has decided that they don't want to be associated with his coup pillows anymore. <laughs> In response to his repeated public endorsement of violent insurrection and snake oil COVID cures, Kohl's, Wayfair, and the frustratingly commaless Bed Bath & Beyond are just three of the many major retailers that have elected to dump his product in the post-Trump era. Uh, jokes on them. Until they agree to add the comma, I will sleep in their tubs and wash in their beds. We live in a society, BBB. We live right. in a society. Thank you. You don't even <laughs> sell beds and baths. <laughs> Stupid. Now, I should point out that Lindell is hardly the only pro-Trumper feeling the wrath of corporate America at the moment, because as much as they love the willingness of Republicans to deregulate hiding their contaminated uranium and impoverished black kids while taxing them at a lower rate than that kid's mom. None of that matters if they provoke a violent revolution that leaves America a failed state, mm. which is why something like two thirds of the major corporate donors to congressmen who back Trump's claims of election fraud decided to stop doing that last week. People have weird lines right like everyone who drew their line after grabbing by the pussy i'm always just like huh that's your line that's your line weird yeah weird right so yeah (laughs) as nice as it is to see corporate america finally start to disempower trump several hours before it was too late for it to matter at all was kind of nice but watching mike lindell bitch about the free market deciding it would like to be free of him was a special kind of special and while nothing (laughs) will ever make living through the trump presidency worth it this is at least a nice start yeah and it means that the trump supporting karens across our nation are about to face their greatest challenge yet not buying things at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I don't know about you, but I need to go buy some scented candles so I can follow them around going, you know you want some of this. So <laughs> we're going to close the headlines for the night. Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. And when we come back, we will not like Ike. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
since its inception, one of the ongoing themes of this show has been the concerted effort to eradicate my love of reading. Since we started the show, we've read the Bible, the Quran, the Book of Mormon, the Case for Christ, and Mama Bear Apologetics, and still, I somehow love to read. So now we're calling in the big guns, David Icke. That's right, in 2021, and probably well into 2022, Heath, Eli, and I are going to be tackling the asinine ramblings of Mr. The Shapeshifting Lizards are literally eating our anxiety to claim our monoatomic gold himself with his 2018 book, Everything You Need to Know But Have Never Been Told. And if your question is, holy shit, Noah, isn't that a 750-page Facebook screed of thinly-veiled anti-Semitism? My answer is, you're welcome. But before we dive into his fever dream, I think it's important that we learn a little bit more about the man himself. So to aid in our preparation, I've invited in a guy who actually attended part of the original book tour for this tome. He's the project director for the Good Thinking Society. He's the president of the Merseyside Skeptics. He's the host of Be Reasonable and the editor of The Skeptic. And he's a man whose nation will, by the time this episode airs, have retaken the title of dumbest elected leader in the English-speaking world, Michael Marshall. Marsh, welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, number one. We're number one. <laughs> We're number one. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, it's been a long time since I could make fun of anyone else's country. Sorry, let me revel in this for a minute. It's Ooh. fine. I said for a long time that you guys would see would get all the way through Trump and out the other side before what we did really started to bite and really started to hit home. And uh, boy, was I right on that. Yeah, we're we're just now starting to. I think there's a lot of people starting to think, ah, maybe we did make an error, actually, but we're about four years too late for a takesies backsies, so. Right. Oh, is that what all the smart people have been going on about? Mm. Ah. Ah, well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm sure we're going to still be reckoning with the consequences of our stupidity for the next hundred years at least. <laughs> oh. Well, we'll just join you in that. It's just a century of confronting our own stupidity together, uh, hand in hand, staring straight into the abyss that is uh, our own uh, country's arrogance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, speaking of national arrogance and stupidity, tell us, for those people who aren't literary masochists and can't be bothered as well to go back and listen to episode 79 of Citation Needed. Tell us who is David Icke? Yeah, David Icke has a truly extraordinary story, I think, if you look at kind of the progression that he's been on through his his career in the public eye. He's been in the, in the public eye in quite some significant ways even before he went off the rails. So he was originally a professional football player, so a soccer player for, I think it was Coventry City, until he got injured at the age of 21 and could no longer play. He then went on to become a sports broadcaster. He holds the very strange, uh, just as a, a quirk before we get into it, he holds the strange record that he was hosting the most watched TV program ever broadcast on one of the BBC's channels, Channel 2, in 1985. It wasn't about uh, what we're going to get into. It was he was a snooker host at the time. But he was like big business, basically. He was the BBC's go-to guy for hosting that kind of sports coverage, like really prestigious sports coverage. But then he had a change of direction, which may have been... <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> such a polite way of saying it, man. Yeah, it may have been uh, precipitated by, by several different personal crises, uh, none of which I, I think he's been particularly on record about. But there's, there's something uh, happened to him that caused him to go off track. And he started to essentially start believing in faith healing. He began to only ever wear turquoise because he thought that was an energetic color that would allow him to connect to a, an energy dimension. 
He went on a very famous UK talk show called uh, the, the Wargan Show with Terry Wargan, an, an Irish uh, broadcaster, soon after this big revelation where he revealed that he was the son of God or the, the son of the Godhead and a reincarnation of Jesus. And there's this incredible clip that I think if I were David Icke, this would have stayed with me a long, long time. Uh, where, he's, where he's making, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but he's making these kind of statements about what he believes and the, the audience are laughing. And he said, well, you know, one of the great things, one of the best things you can do in terms of energy is laughter. Laughter is a great form of energy. So I'm really happy that the audience are laughing so much because it's a really positive energy. And Terry Wog and the horse said, yes, but David, they're not laughing with you. They're laughing at you. You do realize that, don't you? And it's a really chilling moment. Uh, that well, I, that and I think... the audience just cheers like I've never, like, like the fucking Beatles just showed up on Ed Sullivan, right? Yeah. The audience just was like, yes, no, exactly. That's what we're doing. And <laughs> it's so rough. It's so rough to see. And, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to people who have pretty unusual beliefs. <laughs> and I feel in that moment, I feel so much sympathy for David Icke. I find it really hard not to like be there on his side. Like, no, don't, don't shout at this man. Yes, he's wrong. And yes, he's saying, all sorts of really nuts stuff but yeah it feels a bit icky that, to have the audience kind of treat him that way but anyway he then spends the the intermediary couple of decades becoming i'd say the uk's foremost conspiracy theorist and it's when you think conspiracy theorist you think that the various different theories out there he you can trace a lot of them back or at least through david ike so the idea that the world is being run by shape-shifting lizards that the mm -hmm. royal family are literally lizards that 9-11 was inside job because there's a shadowy new world order controlling everything all of this stuff flows through david ike and comes out in his hugely prolific writing his think about a dozen books all self-published all absolute doorstoppers one of which i, I um, i'm very excited to hear you uh, have to cope with I've, I've had sat on my my bookshelf since i i went to see him at, in a tour in uh, 2018 and i haven't made it all the way through myself so i'm really excited to hear exactly what's in there but yeah he is he's sort of the chief conspiracy theorist when i first got into skepticism we used to refer to him as like the king of bullshit basically yeah no i think that's a that's a well-earned title yeah this believe it or not will not be my first foray into 700 plus page <laughs> David Icke books. So, but let's let's talk about how that one wound up on your shelf. The reason I asked you on specifically is that right as we were settling on this book, the skeptic reprinted a 2018 piece that you wrote for Gizmodo UK mm. about the time that you actually went to one of his four hour lectures uh, mm. in association with like I guess the book tour for this this particular book. So, how the hell did that happen? Yeah, he was touring this book. He did his Liverpool show. We saw the Liverpool show was there. We decided to buy tickets. We found out the Liverpool show was like 30 miles outside of Liverpool because no venue in Liverpool would accept him. And the wow. one that he had booked actually cancelled the booking because of the rampant anti-Semitism throughout his work. And, you know, I can explain a bit more about that in a moment. And so when when we saw that David Icke was going to be back on tour. I don't think he'd done a lot of touring for a while. And he used to be able to go to stadiums and fill thousands, literally thousands of people in these big stadium tours. So for, to see him going to Southport, which is actually where Andy Wilson lives, it wasn't very far from Andy Wilson's house, in fact, <laughs> at, a, at a relatively small venue. It wasn't a huge, huge venue. It was just hundreds of people, but not thousands of people. We just couldn't turn down the opportunity. And so I think four or five of us from the Merseyside Skeptic Society went along as a sort of an undercover type thing. So we weren't there like openly mocking it. We were trying to have a bit of a conversation with the people around. We were sat next to complete strangers who were absolutely loving every minute of it. And so David, I took us through his, his grand thesis for this book. And, you know, I can come into some of the, some of the details in there, but the thing that really struck me most of all 
wasn't how out there it was, but actually how benign it seemed compared to a lot of stuff that I've seen him writing uh, in the past. And that's why when I republished this recently for The Skeptic, I said in 2018 when I first published this, that it felt like he was sanitizing some of the more extreme beliefs and and hiding some of that language and couching it in terms of how he was anti-woke and uh, and, and all about free speech and, and hiding some of the more distasteful stuff because I, I wrote at the time that I was worried he was uh, preparing for a return to the mainstream. And fast forward to now, and uh, unfortunately, it, it uh, seems that I was right. Yeah, right. Well, so and and that's the interesting thing that I've always found about like because I like I said I did read one of his books before, and then when you see him in interviews, he only gives the the barest hint of the true crazy, like he's trying to lure you in a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's it from from what I saw of him because up until the, the that lecture. I'd only ever seen him sort of knocking around on fringe parts of the internet, seen memes of his from his website uh, being shared on, on various conspiracy areas of Facebook, that kind of thing. So that's why it was so interesting to see him. And what was really striking, not just in the lack of substance, was, but was also the, the lack of cohesion and the fact that nobody would notice that he just is constantly contradicting himself all the way through the ideas he's putting out. So, you know, he would say things, casually say things like, uh, you know, the governments of the world have all been put into place by the New World Order who are controlling it and orchestrating everything in that kind of way. And then his very next sentence would be about how George Soros is so evil and he put a, a photo of George Soros and he'd photoshopped lizard eyes onto him and it was a very naked anti-Semitic image. Mm-hmm. And he said George Soros is evil because he's intent on overthrowing all the world's governments. So, but if the world's governments were in place by the New World Order... Isn't overthrowing them a good thing? Right. Like, why? Where's the consistency in this? And this was just constantly all the way through everything he was saying. And that's what really surprised me. You know, he was saying Facebook is, a, is an evil tool used by the, uh, you know, the US government to spy on you. And then in the next breath, he was talking about how he should have way more fans on Facebook, but Facebook shadow banning him. And he wants more and more people to be fans of him on Facebook. So why <laughs> are you encouraging your followers onto Facebook when you think it's evil? Why are you encouraging your followers to hate Google because of how it was funded by the CIA and yet to go to your YouTube channel to see you talk about this stuff and play straight into Google's hands? It was... um you know, the idea that aliens are literally, literally feeding on our anxiety. It's what keeps them alive. The alien lizards that rule the world are literally feeding on our anxiety. And their ultimate plan is to replace us all with robots. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> right. And what really struck me is that he presented all of this. And the most da- dangerous thing he was doing, I think, he presented all of this as freedom of speech. He was saying, I don't care who you offend. I'll offend everybody equally. That's the most important thing. I'm offending everybody equally. And, you know, they, they want to control your freedom of speech. And as all will said, freedom is the freedom to say that two plus two equals four. And as I wrote in the piece for uh, that Republican Skeptic, what Ike's doing actually isn't that. It's close that it's not that because the freedom of speech he wants isn't to say two plus two equals four, but to say that two plus two equals five. That is the freedom David Icke is fighting for. And it's what he spent the intermediary kind of couple of years since I, I saw him doing is to, to be pushing this kind of agenda that is utterly clearly false and, and falls apart with even the basic amount of scrutiny, but just uh, using his charisma. And he's a very charismatic person, I think, using that charisma to just elide over those really gaping holes in his logic to hide the fact that he's just constantly contradicting himself and his actual worldview just doesn't hold up it even internally it has no internal uh, consistency yeah well and i think one of the things that you know one of the small silver linings around 2020 is the idea that like before now 
people would look at a guy like David Icke and say, yeah, but what's the worst that he could do? Mm, yeah, yeah. In the middle of a pandemic where we've got people like in Nashville blowing themselves up to get at that evil 5G, mm. it's real hard to ask that question anymore. Yeah, and it's particularly hard to ask it about David Icke because right at the start of this uh, pandemic, there's a uh, a conspiracy theorist channel uh, in the UK called London Real, run by a chap called Brian Rose, who's who's one of your lot who came over here. And Brian Rose is another of these people who all he cares about is free speech. He'll, he'll defend any amount of free speech. He'll platform anyone, although realistically only platforms a very narrow set of views, a very specific set mm. of conspiratorial views under the guise of free speech. You know, and he'll always package that as, I may not agree entirely with what you have to say, but I'll defend to the death my right to sell it. Uh, that is essentially <laughs> his, his business model. And he did an interview with David Icke. He did a series of interviews with David Icke, one of which first went out on his YouTube channel and then got taken down. And then it was broadcast on a TV station here in in the UK in London. And that received a huge number of complaints and was actually uh, censured by the broadcasting watchdog. And so he went on to to host another interview with Icke live on YouTube. And it got something like 400,000 live views before it got taken down. And in that interview, Icke is saying about how COVID doesn't exist. It's just a, a hoax. It's a deliberate ploy because what they're actually doing is it, they, they turn on the 5G towers and the 5G pulls all the oxygen out of the air, which leads to respiratory failure, which is what mimics the symptoms of COVID-19. And the reason that they're doing that is they put the 5G towers near to old people's homes in order to suck all the oxygen out of old people's homes so they can kill the old people, so they can fill the temporary mortuaries and the temporary morgues that they've set up in a way to, to deal with the pandemic. And he's saying all this and it's going out live and people are believing this. And it wasn't long before we had people burning down 5G masks Mm -hmm. here in Liverpool even. It wasn't long before we had people gathering in literally tens of thousands in London to hear Ike speak and to hear Piers Corbyn, the brother of Jeremy Corbyn, the former leader of the Labour Party, who's also a COVID denier and conspiracy theorist. Those events in Trafalgar were lighting the touch paper, basically, of this mass COVID denialism movement. And where that's gone now is people are turning up to hospitals, filming in the hospitals to prove that the hospitals are empty by finding an empty corridor and and filming that and putting it live. And we've got doctors and nurses currently being abused by people outside of the hospitals after they've just finished doing a 20-hour shift saving lives, being told that, oh, you're lying, you're actually killing people, none of this stuff is true, you know, release us all from these lockdowns that we have, don't wear your masks, embrace the freedom. And I honestly think a large part of that you can attribute to that video, that interview that Ike did with Brian Rose, and Ike's narrative has, has unfortunately gone mainstream here in the UK. So, okay, so I want to circle back to this before we run out of time, because you've already mentioned it a couple of times, and I've seen like a lot of online, like genuine debate about this from people who I do believe are are seriously trying to parse this out about the anti-Semitism in David Icke's work, right? Because, look, when I first read his book, his, and again, this was, I was you know 24 years old, I was not a skeptic at the time, and I wasn't very versed in the ways of the anti-Semites, I never picked up anything anti-Semitic out of that book. That being said, the book does refer to the Protocols of Zion as though they're a historical document. So it's real hard to argue that there's not at least an anti-Semitic influence. So clearly you fall on the on the side that, no, when he says lizards, he means Jews side of this argument. 
Um, I, I don't know where I fall. I mean, I think he, he definitely, well, I can't say definitely. In my opinion, he seems to think that the shadowy forces behind all of the worst things in the world are linked to the Jews in some way. And there's plenty of evidence that even in the lecture that I saw. So he talked about how the unseen, the A, the L eat, and he splits the word elite up into two parts because he's got some kind of bullshit lexicography kind of thing going on <laughs> as to what that right. might mean. But he says those unseen L eat arrived on the earth. He's they arrived 6,000 years ago exactly in the Middle East, which puts you in a very Jewish yeah, place wow. to begin with. And then you look at the, the different forces that he talks about. He talks a lot about the Rothschilds. He talks a lot about mm-hmm. George Soros being evil. Most of the people he picks out as being particularly evil are of Jewish descent. And most strikingly is the imagery that he uses. So and I even sent a snapshot from the book you're about to read, which I just flicked to a random page and found him mapping out the shadowy agencies that make up the New World Order. And there's six of them. And he puts those six uh, agencies together into a very specific pattern, drawing lines between them. And it is an unmistakable Star of David. And it's not the only time that happens. Well, and let's keep in mind that, like, this is a book that came out in 2017, again, self-published, of course, but but this is long after people had started pointing out publicly how anti-Semitic his work is, and long after he had to start defending himself. So, so, like, you would think that, like, even if he had only the best of intentions, right, and didn't actually have an anti-Semitic bone in his body, he'd be hyper-aware of not putting that goddamn symbol in his book anywhere where he's referring to the evil shadowy, financial, controlling, government, underground movement that came out of the Middle East 6,000 years ago, right? Yeah. Like, so it, it, it's almost like that That by itself is almost an admission that, like, if you're not trying to spread anti-Semitism, you're at the very least, you know, you're not above nodding towards it. Yeah, I mean, a Star of David is not the only way of connecting six dots. Right, got exactly. to, It's not the only configuration. Of, and David Icke has a, a, he had, I think he may still have a YouTube series called Dot Connector. And as I wrote in the piece, it was a joke I stole from a friend who I attended it with. He's very good at connecting a very specific pattern of six dots. You give him six dots and he will connect those dots pretty well into a specific pattern. I would think that, I, I, I honestly think David Icke thinks he isn't anti-Semitic. I would honestly b- believe that. But I think what he would say is, it doesn't need every Jewish person to be involved in this for the people who are evil in this to be Jewish. So I think he would sort of, maybe that's the way he'd try and rationalize around it. But the effect of it is every single force that you're pointing out as being in control of the world and being evil and wanting to literally scare you to produce fear so they can feed on your fear and anxiety. If every single one of those forces happens to be Jewish, you should be really looking at yourself as the way you, you see uh, the Jewish people as a, as a whole. Right. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, he'll point out that, oh, well, look at all of these people I've accused of being listeners that aren't Jewish, the Queen, George Bush, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But if you actually go into the work, like the the movers and shakers always seem to be like the, the high, you know, those people always seem to be puppets of their Jewish masters at some level. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, but also, I don't know that he doesn't believe that the queen is related to the, the bloodline that stems back to that 6,000 years in the Middle East, because he talks about how that you can identify these different groups because of their bloodline. Right. And so the, when when he talks about the royal family being part lizard and being from the, I forget the exact name he has for the lizard people, he talks about that as a bloodline thing because they are descended from the aliens that landed on Earth, the unseen 6,000 years ago in the Middle East. So I don't think it's that he'd point to the queen and say, you see, she's evil and she's not Jewish. 
I think he pointed to the Queen and say, you see, she's evil and she's related to the Jews. I, I, right. I don't think yeah. he's explicit to that, but that is the implications of, of what he's actually saying. Right. He would say Anunnaki or whatever it was. But yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. OK. So and, and that circles us back around to, I think, the most important question when you're talking about David Icke. Right. So his greatest defense is that it's really hard for sane people not just to take him seriously. Right. But but to imagine others taking him seriously. Mm. Like you said, he'll contradict himself in one sentence. Yeah. So when when you tell people you're genuinely concerned about, you know, how much credibility the the queen is a secret lizard in a person suit guy is gaining, you're lucky if you just get laughed off. So I know this is sort of like, you know, the the key question of all of skepticism, so feel <laughs> free to dance around it a bit, but how do we get people to see that as a genuine threat? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things uh, that we can do to make people realize it's, it's a genuine threat. You don't need to believe everything David Icke says to believe some of what he says. And in fact, a lot of the people who are burning down the, the 5G masts, when they do that, they're not doing that because they think the queen is a shape-changing lizard who drinks the, the blood of babies. They're doing that because they think the 5G mask is pulling oxygen out, mask is pulling oxygen out of the air and causing COVID symptoms in, in, in other ways too. So you don't need to believe everything Icke says to believe some of the things Icke said and especially to believe some of the most harmful things uh, that he says. So that's that's kind of part of it, is that sometimes the lizard stuff can end up being a bit of a smokescreen because it paints him as a clown, when actually, even though I, I honestly think he sincerely holds the, the beliefs that he espouses, the ramifications of those beliefs and what people will do if they buy into those beliefs are serious, even if they don't buy into all of those beliefs. And I think the other thing, it, it reminds me a lot of what people said about Donald Trump when he was uh, first running. And they said, well, the problem was that Liberals took him literally but not seriously, and his followers took him seriously but not literally. Right. And I think that's also true here as well, in that a lot of people who will follow a lot of what David Icke says are taking him seriously in the sense of the things he's warning about are really serious. The, the, these are big, serious questions he's posing, big, serious allegations he's making, big, serious dots he's connecting. Now, he may not literally mean every one of those things, so there's a plausible deniability in there, both for Icke and for his, his uh, followers, but he certainly means that we should be wary of George Soros and we should be wary about the control that Facebook has. And he uses those legitimate concerns to to then snowball into bigger actions that are actually really quite dangerous. So we need to take David Icke seriously, even if we don't take him literally and recognize that you can you can he can do an enormous amount of damage amongst people who follow him in that way as well. And then the thing that really baffles me the most, or the thing that we really have to kind of look out for the most, is it's the spread of his beliefs, how far they get that they end up being, they end up... Warning, following podcast contains language that may offend some listeners. And if not, we'll try harder next week. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by The Air. The Air. Now with fewer Trump supporters. And now, The Scathing Atheist. This is Billy West. On behalf of Noah, Heath, Eli, and Lucinda, here at the Scathing Atheist, I can assure you we did, in fact, evolve from filthy monkey men. You know, Zap Brannigan would tell somebody like him to go take a nap and improve the quality of life around here. Yes, and Zoidberg would tell everybody to eat. And uh, Fry would tell everybody, uh, did everything just taste purple for a second?
January 14th. And it's Take a Missionary to Lunch Day. I'm pretty sure they don't mean us. No, they do not. I'm no illusions. <laughs> I'm Eli Bosnick. And from Bruce Springsteen's New Jersey and Red Town Blue State, this is The Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode... Keith Enright takes the week off to laugh at the terrorist who tased himself in the fall <laughs> till he died. Andrew Torres swings by long enough to regret it. And the Christian right goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> nice, nice. But first, the diatribe, which is me. Feels weird to introduce myself to. Uh, segments written for three people. No, I originally written for two. You just divvied up the lines. Hey, it's Thursday! Nope, that's not. It's Thursday! Well, holy shit, y'all. That took them five fucking years to notice it, but it looks like the mainstream media might finally be catching on to the root of the problem. In the last week, I've seen CNN, The Washington Post, The Atlantic, The New York Times, and fucking USA Today all running stories highlighting the role of evangelical Christianity in Trump's attempted coup. And yes, most of those are left-leaning publications, but... USA Today is the goddamn definition of mainstream, and even left-leaning publications acknowledging that Christian terrorism is a genuine threat represents a big step forward. To understand the importance here, I think we should try to rewind the clock to, I don't know, let's say September 10th of 2001, pick a date out of a hat. Even for those of us old enough, it's hard to remember just how worried we weren't about Islamic terrorism back then. Right? I mean, we had countless examples by that point. Beirut in 83, the embassies in Tanzania and Kenya in 98, the first World Trade Center bombing in 93. There was no question that this was an ongoing deadly threat, and yet we didn't take it all that seriously. Now, I'm sure there were plenty of people within our government who were taking it very seriously at that time, right? Our intelligence services did issue that report called, Look out, Osama bin Laden's going to crash airplanes into buildings in New York City, after all. But as a nation, you know, as a culture, we didn't take them seriously. And that's because they were a fucking joke. I mean, yes, they'd killed people often by the hundred. But as often as not, they'd fuck up some kindergarten-level shit or get caught the dumbest way imaginable. Like, remember Pan Am Flight 103, the, the one that blew up over Lockerbie, Scotland? Now, I, that was a wholesale tragedy. 270 people died. I think it's still the deadliest terrorist attack in the U.K.'s history. But, but the dudes who did that got caught because they, they had to fill the suitcase that the bomb was going to be in with clothes to make it, like, look like a regular suitcase at a glance. So they just went to a thrift store and randomly bought a bunch of clothes with no thought as to the sizes, types, or styles. Needless to say, the guy running that store was like, what the fuck's going on here? He calls in a tip after the bombing, after they you know, put on the news that it was in a suitcase. And there was a camera there. I mean, for fuck's sake, they caught one of the terrorists from the first World Trade Center bombing when the idiot tried to get the deposit back for the truck they had rented to put the bomb in. Right. And so by and large, the attitude amongst most Americans at the time was that, yes, they could be sporadically dangerous, but mostly they were just fucking silly. If you want a great representation, look at the 1994 Schwarzenegger movie, True Lies. Right? I mean, the first thing that you're going to notice about the terrorists and that is how wildly racist movies were back then. But but then you're going to notice how sure the jihadis were dangerous, but far more than that, they were a thing to be mocked, not a thing to be feared. 
And then we saw the consequences of stupidity at its grandest scale, and there were no silly Islamic terrorists in our movies anymore. You know, look, I'm not saying that we can't laugh at the guy who tased himself in the nuts to death. I'm not even saying that we shouldn't. I mean, even though that turns out not to be true, we should still laugh at it. The very fact that his supporters are so fucking stupid that we couldn't dismiss that out of hand is funny. But let's be very careful along the way that we're not using that laughter to temper our fear. If I have my choice to face off against an angry rioter dumb enough to tase himself in the nuts to death and one smart enough not to, I'm not at all convinced I'm better off picking the former. And obviously, for things to get as bad as they've gotten, a lot of safety valves have to fail, right? I mean, I mean, there will no doubt be reports and committees digging into all the levels of failure that happened there for years to come. And even though nobody's ever going to single us out for official blame, we are among those failed safety valves. By we here, I mean the nation's skeptics, its rationalists, its atheists. Our self-anointed role is battling against conspiracy thinking and irrationality. Our chosen nemesis is religious stupidity. And yet there we were, impotently watching them bumble their way through the Capitol, looking for the button they had to push to switch our government over to fucking Handmaid's prequel. See, the thing is, they're going to keep doing this shit. And while the nation will no doubt get better the second that they're out of power, their terrorism is going to get worse at that point. And along the way, they're going to keep tasing themselves in the nuts to death. And strangely enough, that's going to give them their greatest advantage. Right? Stupid disarms you because stupid is funny. But if there's one overriding lesson of the last four years, it's that stupid is actually way more dangerous than smart. And nothing can coax the danger out of stupid quite like religion. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight is the rum to my coke, Eli Bosnick. Eli, are you ready to mix it up a little? Only if you let me hold you, no illusions. <laughs> Only if you let me hold you. All right, well, we'll have to wait for a vaccine then, damn it. In our lead story tonight, Trump supporters had themselves one of them coup d'etats. <laughs> just to fuck up our ability to be topical, they started it literally as we started recording last Wednesday. They sure like did. Like the hour of, the minute of. And the fact that I scrapped the diatribe I was going to use and wrote a new one at that point means that I literally did more to respond to the attempted coup in the six hours after the Capitol building was breached than the President of the United States. <laughs> now, Noah, that's not fair. What about that deepfake video Mike Pompeo made on his iPhone that released on Twitter of Trump saying, treason is bad. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yes, as a cluster of... Angry megalomaniacs brought shame upon their family stock with history's stupidest <laughs> insurrection, up to and including the fucking videos they posted of themselves online. Now Christian leaders are left with two choices, right? One is to ignore the four years of documented religion-wide Trump sycophancy and the abundance of Jesus saves banners and Christian flags amongst the terrorists and pretend that Christianity had nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. And the other is to throw their arms around the insurrection and pretend that they haven't spent the last four years begging for laws that would allow people to shoot rowdy protesters in the face. <laughs> Either way, the turnaround is going to have to be so abrupt that even registers on the conservative Christian clock. 
Okay, uh, Blue Lives Matter, unless we kill him with a fire extinguisher and the windows, okay, we just care about Starbucks windows. Fuck all other right. windows. Starbucks and Target. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, as we saw, even as the protests were still unfolding, the strategy du jour is to just pretend all the shit you don't like was some other dude that looked like you. <laughs> and that was certainly the case when ex-congresswoman and haunted painting Michelle Bachman participated in a prayer call and blamed, quote, paid rabble rousers, end quote, who, you know, are getting paid enough to hurl themselves at bullets until they die in their effort to discredit an election fraud conspiracy that was already discredited before it was disseminated was her theory. Okay, maybe they're thinking that if they do literally everything they falsely accuse the left of, they can just like write their name on our paper right before we turn it into history. I, I don't what are they I guess what are yeah. they going for? <laughs> So the, the absurdity of that claim didn't keep evangelical heavyweight and man whose celebrity was not earned but ejaculated Franklin Graham, who told religious <laughs> news services, quote, the people who broke the windows in the Capitol did not look like the people out there demonstrating. Most likely it was Antifa, end quote. Because, you know, <laughs> if there's anybody out there with solid motivations to stage an insurrection in support of fascism... <laughs> But it's amazing. They have to combine it wasn't us and it's fine if it was into the same sentence. Now. Yes, right. Me, not me, Antifa, you. It's okay. <laughs> but but evangelical preacher and three-time returning champion on the syndicated game show Card Sharks in 1986, that's real, look it up, Robert Jeffress <laughs> knew better than to simply blame the minions. He took to Fox News Sunday morning to explain that the real culprit for the impotent insurrection that was orchestrated by and in the service of Donald Trump was... Satan. Oh, I was so close. Yeah, so close. by which he did not mean Donald Trump. Quote, the people who stormed the Capitol, the people who killed that police officer, were not part of the kingdom of God, as some people claimed. They were part of the kingdom of Satan, end quote. Because otherwise, he wouldn't even be a true Scotsman, if you think about it. <laughs> well, now, if you look real close, you'll see each of the Christians who killed that police officer, they were doing it in the name of Goad. That's that's God's younger brother. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> yes, that's on them. So his little brother. So, yeah, bottom line, it turns out that decades of feeding the dumbest half of the white people a manufactured narrative about how oppressed they are and then handing the reins of it over to a pathological egotist have consequences. Huh. Yeah. Fortunately, it's the dumbest <laughs> half, so they usually fuck it up. But some things are terrifying <laughs> even when they're tragically stupid. Of course, if Christians were in the habit of acknowledging reality, they wouldn't be Christians. So the only silver lining is that shit like this makes it a lot harder for rational people to keep accusing us of alarmism. Yeah. If the comfort is that this is a mob that was literally misdirected away from the senators they were hunting by a cop going, hey, 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 over here. <laughs> the discomfort is that some of those senators were rooting for the mob. So. Yeah. Ooh. And in blast from the past news, it might be hard to believe, but there are actually way worse countries to be an atheist in than America. I know. I know, podcast listener, but it's true. And we got a reminder of that last week when ex-Muslim, atheist activist and founder of Faithless Hijabi, Zara Kay, was arrested in Tanzania on allegations of blasphemy. Well, 
I mean, yeah, but how bad could a Tanzanian prison really be? <laughs> cushy. Darn cushy. Now, yeah. of course, Zara wasn't told why she was under arrest when she was first brought into custody. According to Hemet Mehta over at the Friendly Atheist blog, she was held for 32 hours before knowing the charges against her. But it's pretty clear now that her real climb is being an ex-Muslim and talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, women and talking rarely go well together in super religious countries. Mm -hmm. But it gets better worse. The cover story is that she's under arrest for criticizing the Tanzanian president's response to COVID. So, you know, just in case the yokels at the Capitol got you down, the Tanzanians police's cover story is that they're suppressing political rivals. How could we be holding her on manufactured charges if we cut her body up and dumped it into the Indian Ocean? Come on. Come on. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Yep. Indeed. Now, the good news is that as of writing this story, Zara is out on bail, but her Australian passport is revoked and she can't go home where, you know, nobody will lock her up on bullshit charges like this. Now, the good news is the Australian government is aware of the situation and advocating on her behalf, but... As always in these situations, the more people that know about it, the less likely the Tanzanian government will feel comfortable doing horrible shit they think they can get away with to someone for not wearing a scarf on their head anymore. So make sure you take a moment, check the link in the show notes, and help however you're able. And in jagged little pillow news tonight. Fantastic. Thank you. The My Pillow guy can too get crazier. Fine, fine, 20 bucks, you win. You win, and, Noah. <laughs> and sorry in advance if there's something of a theme to my headlines this week, but attempted theocratic revolutions have that effect on me. But yes, <laughs> even in the wake of Wednesday's deadly insurrection, my pillow founder and person who single-handedly disproves the meritocracy fantasy that undergirds the moral justification for capitalism, Mike Lindell, showed up on a live stream service for Eagle Mountain International Church to throw still more fuel on the treason fire. Not only did he recommit to the lie about Trump's election being stolen, but he also added some new bullshit about the two Georgia Senate seats being stolen as well. <laughs> All right, everyone, be sure to check out my new children's book, Everything I Lose Was Stolen by Stacey Abrams. Yep, there you go. So, yeah, in a terrifying glimpse into where the yarn is tied on his basement map, he says, quote, those two Senate seats that they stole yesterday, all eyes were on them. Now we've got more evidence. To be clear, that's that's more than none, and no, they don't. Anyway, he continues, quote, <laughs> This stuff went to Pakistan. Uh -huh. It went overseas to other countries. Can you think of one? China, <laughs> where these boats went over again, and they, you know, this attack on our nation, <laughs> sick. <laughs> okay, wait. The vote, the votes went overseas, or the... The evidence went... Okay, this makes no sense for Mike Lindell. For right? Mike yeah, Lindell. Exactly. exactly. He's going downhill somehow. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's technically not trying to start a war with China in an effort to install a despot, but only because he lacks the mastery of the English language required to do so. <laughs> he did, however, trace a silver lining around this dark cloud of the will of the people. He pointed out that by stealing these last two runoff elections, we've provided even more evidence that the system is rigged. So if you think about it, like Mike Lindell's mother, no doubt how to constantly tell him losing is technically just like winning. Yeah. And based on the massive leaks of parlor data, a lot of Trump supporters are probably hoping that prison means freedom while we're at it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Next up in headlines. Scathing atheist favorites, least favorites, activist group, 
One million moms found another thing to be mad about this week. No, it's not the riot at our Capitol or the fact that they killed a cop with a fire extinguisher and an American flag. It's a Match.com ad about Satan. Yeah, no, yeah, think about the kind of message that sends to children. (laughs) So, yeah, the ad in question is a surprisingly funny take about Satan getting matched with the year 2020 and their relationship going well, but... Since it talked about a goat demon, the one million moms, current Twitter following 4,606, are very, very mad. And, as usual, started another useless petition to nobody that nobody (laughs) will read because they suck and there are less of the one million moms than there are active members of NAMBLA. Right. Yes, and that's even before you factor the Catholic Church in as a subsidiary. Mm Mm-hmm. So as Monica Cole puts it on the One Million Moms website, quote, These two ads, both created by Ryan Reynolds, make light of hell and the eternal dangers of the demonic realm. (laughs) Read, they don't take our goat demons seriously enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One Million Moms does not want viewers to be deceived by this unbiblical depiction of Satan in hell. These two dark commercials make it difficult for family and children to avoid such evil content while watching TV shows during primetime and sporting events, end quote. (laughs) Why, it's gotten to where middle-class white kids can't watch minorities get injured for their amusement without being bombarded with negative messages. (laughs) And look, I empathize with the nearly 5,000 moms. Only if you include the bots. (laughs) It's a tough week for them. Their favorite lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is going to get kicked out of the New York bar. A lot of them just got put on the no-fly list, and their reaction has gone viral on TikTok. (laughs) So we here at the Scathing Atheist are here to help with a set of Christian-approved, totally biblical, Match.com ads. Enjoy. Oh, whoa. Gosh, how did we meet? Well, let's see. I was married to his brother. Uh Uh-huh, and then he died. And, and, and like, as soon as that happened, Mash.com sent me a message like, hey, you're his property now. Yeah, it's true. It's true. They sent that message. And and it's it's been just great since then. I've borne him children. Yeah, she has. She has. And she even got me a concubine for Christmas. I did. I love to spoil. <laughs> but her kids will always be my favorite. That, that concubine's just for fucking. Yeah. ChristianMatch.com. Illegal and technically slavery. And in, give, send, go fuck yourself news tonight. <laughs> Yet another website dedicated to the idea that websites should be allowed to put whatever they want on them is raving mad over some other website exercising the right to put whatever they want on them because it turns out that when you're a jackass right-wing site that endorses Christian terrorism, what a lot of websites don't want on them is you. And free speech isn't fun when it's working against you, so now they're against it in the name of it. It's very <laughs> confusing. The bottom line, though is that failing to force Apple to say, here's the Christian nationalism app, is a violation of free speech, despite being the opposite of that. Yeah, you know it's bad when big tech takes a break from verifying literal Nazis to kick you off their platforms. You've done something wrong. (laughs) Something's gone wrong. But yeah, it turns out that Parler, I know that's not how it should be pronounced, but they're stupid, isn't the only site on the chopping block. (laughs) Gizmodo reported on Monday that PayPal was cutting its ties with the Christian crowdfunding platform GiveSendGo, a site known for raising money for vile pieces of shit like Kyle Rittenhouse and Proud Boys leader Enrique Terrio. And while there's been pressure on PayPal to disassociate from this Christian 
terrorist funding platform for a while now, they've resisted, citing how bad it is for their corporate image to admit that Christian is a code word for domestic terrorist as often as not these days. But I guess tangential involvement in the slapstick coup attempt is even worse on their corporate image. So now they're ceding to that pressure. Yeah, if only trying to overthrow the government were as serious as, I don't know, Nick Kristoff imagining that your website is full of child porn. This would have been taken care of long ago. Yeah, right. And look, I've seen a lot of otherwise reasonable people try to equate this ongoing online purge to sites like Give, Send, Go to some kind of slippery slope towards censorship. And I, like, I understand why you feel that way, except no, I don't, and that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> there have always been laws against trying to publicly foment violent revolutions against the state, and for good reason. Yeah. Right? Like if I put up a podcast every week about how we should violently overthrow the elected government and install Stacey Abrams as our king, I'd be kicked off of every podcast platform in the world, and I'd get a visit from the FBI. The fact that I'd be correct wouldn't matter. <laughs> right? This is not some new fucking standard that's being made up on the fly. Maybe they've taking their goddamn time and enforcing it. But this has always been the case, and somehow freedom of speech has endured. Right, and if you're worried that this is some newfangled cucky interpretation, uh, I'd like to refer you to the Federalist Papers where uh, SJW Alexander Hamilton said, quote, Of course you're wrong, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and finally tonight, in Doidian Slip News, it may have been slightly lost in the hustle and bustle of the terrorist attack last week, but in case you hadn't heard, Illinois Congresswoman Mary Miller gave a speech to the group Moms for America in which she said, quote, Hitler was right about one thing. He said, whoever has the youth has the future, end quote, because she couldn't possibly think of anyone else who has expressed the thought children are important from history. <laughs> Honey. Honey, I'm not saying that Hitler never said, no, thank you, I'll wait for the entree. I'm saying it's weird that you keep citing him one way or the other. <laughs> right. So, as is to be expected, Miss Miller has since released an apology. And by apology, I mean she's sorry that you Antifa cucks are trying to twist her perfectly great <laughs> Hitler words into something bad. <laughs> Quote, earlier this week, I spoke to a group of mothers about the importance of faith and guarding our youth from destructive influences. I sincerely apologize for any harm my word caused and regret using a reference to one of the most evil dictators in history to illustrate the dangers that outside influences can have on our youth. This dark history should never be repeated and parents should be proactive to instill what is good, true, right and noble into their children's hearts and minds. Okay, wait, so she, so she apologized for acknowledging Hitler existed. What does it say about her that even now she doesn't understand that, like, finding common cause was the issue? <laughs> yeah. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, that's all well and good, but are some of her best friends countries that are kind of Jewish? Well, good <laughs> news. She concludes... While some are trying to intentionally twist my words to mean something antithetical to my beliefs, let me be clear. I'm passionately pro-Israel, and I will always be a strong advocate and ally of the Jewish community. 
I've been in discussion with Jewish leaders across the country and am grateful to them for their kindness and forthrightness. Oh, and, and their totally normal sized noses. Well, <laughs> I, I was on the phone the other day. I was forgiving them for killing Christ, as I am wont to do. And they told me I was the least Nazi person they even knew ever. <laughs> Yeah, that's an excellent way to put Jewish people are yelling at me into your apology. <laughs> oh, but I got to say, I look forward to what Miss Miller brings up next. Or, as Joseph Stalin once put it, the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Well, in the words of Idi Amin, we're done here. So I guess we can close the headlines for the night. Eli, thanks as always. Blue marching. And when we, cool munchy maybe even. And when we come <laughs> back, Andrew will be here to ask that his introduction not follow Idi Amin and Joseph Stalin references anymore. <laughs> Too late. Hey, Eli, what, what's the matter, dude? <sighs> hey, Noah, I'm just trying to tie this letter to this shot put so I can send it to my friend. Wait, dude, why don't you just mail it? <laughs> and go to the post office with all that hassle? No thanks. Well, I get it, but why don't you just try Stamps.com? What's Stamps.com? Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your door. You can I'm sorry, and- Noah. I couldn't quite hear you. What's Stamps.com? Eli, that's not in the script, man. I, have I know, but if you could just tell me again what Stamps.com, and while you're at it, maybe tell me what's HelloFresh, what's HelloFresh, what's... Hello, Eli, Eli, are you using the fact that Heath isn't here to win some weird game that you guys do in the ads? What? No. No, I never. Because I we never don't be... get paid for the ad. If What's Stamps.com? What's Stamps.com? What's Stamps.com? You, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. It's What's Stamps.com? What's Stamps.com? What's Stamps.com? It's, I've already stopped recording. <laughs> You know, I was never much of a fan of short film until I started watching Christian movies. And now I'm a shorter the better kind of guy, which is why I'm happy to introduce another segment of God Awful Minis. And what fun is suffering if you can't bring along some friends. So to help us out tonight, we're happy to welcome back friend of the show and host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres. Andrew, welcome back, sir. Thanks, Noah. Uh, A runtime of 17 minutes. Oh, yeah. I'm in for those anytime, even if there's no pimp cake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. You were getting off easy, too. All right. So before we dive into this video, I was hoping you could tell our listeners about your newest podcasting project. Oh, thanks. It's called Clean Up on Aisle 45. Great title. And it's it's with A.G. of Mueller, she wrote. And it's about how we do the hard work of rebuilding the Justice Department, our executive branch, rebuilding our institutions now that we're post-Trump. And A.G., you might know she was a former high-ranking civil servant. She's ex-military. It's going to be great. So uh, we drop on Inauguration Day, January 20th, and every Wednesday after that, clean up on aisle 45. All right. Well, that's awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. It sounds like a really huge job, and I'm, I'm glad that you guys are breaking it down. So tell us, Andrew, speaking of breaking down, what video will we be breaking down today? <laughs> I don't even. Uh, oh, 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 sorry. I mean, you mean the title? Yeah. It was called. <laughs> yeah, don't ask me what it is. But the title was called Hey Wands Reward. <laughs> I mean, uh, you can make your hands look like a V, people. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. Hey Wands Reward. The fucking YouTube had it wrong. All right. So, Eli, how bad was this mini? Well, 
if you love the anti-bullying improv troupe that came to your high school, but they didn't talk enough about the afterlife, <laughs> you <laughs> will love this movie. Oh, yeah, this is a special one right here. Okay, so before we get going with the breakdown, is there anything you guys want to nominate this one for being the best at being the worst at? Ooh, 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 it is the best worst iPhone footage about bullying on YouTube. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, big claims. Big claims. <laughs> and true ones at that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I was going to go with best worst understanding of how lunch money works. Uh, we're going <laughs> to... We're going to get there. I'm just going to say that they get this wrong in at least three, maybe five different ways. <laughs> it's impressive. It is impressive. And I was going to go with best worst, you'll be sorry when I'm dead. Right. I mean, look, <laughs> the whole pitch of Christianity is you'll be sorry when you're dead. <laughs> That's the selling point. Yep. You'll be sorry when I'm dead is as nonsensical as the last 45 <laughs> seconds of this short film. Whoo, boy, yeah, I'll tell you what. It's it's going to be absolutely nothing happens, absolutely nothing happens. What the fuck just happened? That is the <laughs> formula for this one. All right, so let's turn to the YouTubes here. We're going to start off by or the interwebs, as they'll be identified in this film. <laughs> We're going to start off by establishing that Jenna, our hero, is bullied and poor and Cassie and her cool friends are the bullies. And if you don't get that with this first scene, don't worry. We will do nothing but establish this for the next four goddamn scenes. <laughs> but right away, uh. we are going to be introduced to the star of this short film, children improvising conversations before their script is signed. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Which in the very first scene begins... Do you guys want to go get nails done later? <laughs> yeah, it, it's so clear. Like, the director here was like, hey, uh, you remember Mean Girls? And then everybody on the film was like, uh, that movie's rated PG-13. So my dad says I can't see it till I'm 35. So no. But I know mean and I know girls. Okay, no, yeah. that'll be enough. That'll be enough. Uh, yeah. That'll do. Also, we established right here that because the, they're making fun of Jenna for being poor. They're like, oh, she's so poor. She's so poor. They all live in the same fucking neighborhood, right? So it's, <laughs> they live next door to each other. Yes, right. Oh. So it's not oh. it's not that much of a disparity, I'm guessing. <laughs> all right. So then we see her sitting at lunch all by herself at the school. We watch her sit there by herself for so goddamn long that, like, we start wondering if the video is expecting us to go up and say hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the the kids are improvising the dialogue again. The uh, nine-year-olds are talking about how school lunch is ruining their diets. I, I, they're, they're 15, Eli. Well, like yeah. The, 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 the B-plot is about the lead mean girl getting a car for her birthday. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> right. Yeah, but so we listen to them have pretty much the exact same conversation about what a loser Jenna is. Right. But they forget to talk loudly enough, so our main character just has super hearing. They whisper, <laughs> nobody likes her, and she's like, God damn it, I hate my superpowers, and hops away. <laughs> it's like Daredevil, the super hearing, uh, you know, is a compensation for, well, we'll, we'll get into yeah, it. Yeah, right, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but before we do, we have to go with this bizarre title screen that uh, Andrew alluded to, where they're saying heaven's reward, but they're trying to use hands to make the V, but it's actually kind of a a you, and even that's being generous, you know? <laughs> and then we're going to watch the same goddamn scene again, but <sighs> this time the bullies are following her home from school. I wrote 
wrote in my notes, okay, now they're following her home. Are we sure these girls aren't ghosts of a soccer team she hit with her mom's car? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right, because I, I, I want to be clear for the listeners. Like, when you say following home, they are six inches behind oh, her yeah. for like two minutes, like, like one seventh of this film's <laughs> runtime. It's, it's disturbing. Yeah, so she, and they're picking on her because apparently she has a stutter. Oh, right. God. Something that the movie hasn't established yet. Great filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and when it does, look, I understand that you guys have me on and, and our listeners expect me to be the calm, sensitive voice of reason for these things, but could they not have hired an actor with an actual stutter? Or they could <laughs> oh. convincingly fake one. <laughs> oh, God, it's so... Oh. B-b-b-b-bring. Uh. <laughs> but but even that would be an improvement on what she does. Half the time she kind of forgets it's there. And <laughs> she does vowels occasionally, which is a hell of an interesting <laughs> I, I, I. <laughs> so, yeah, the only way that you can tell she's going for stutter in this conversation with her mom is the fact that those girls had made jokes about her stuttering early, right? Yeah, and and the only way you know it's mom is because she says it because the movie decides to film mom from the neck down. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> this is the next parasite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so she goes. Oh, she's all sad and everything. So she goes to her room and gets on her her computer graph to tell everybody how lonely she is. Like, how bad did they fuck up? computer in this scene. <laughs> okay. Are we going to address that this girl is very obviously being groomed by a pedophile? Because it really seems like she's being groomed. We never find out who she's internet chatting with. We just know that, like, she tells them all their problems and they give her religious advice. Uh, the, the plot of the movie is that she has no friends, except that she has a friend, right? Like <laughs> she has somebody that she talks to online, and you know, admittedly, could be a thirty-eight-year-old who's naked from the waist down. We never know that. <laughs> well, I think it's supposed to be her pastor, which means that yes, thirty-eight and naked, yeah, one hundred percent, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and yes, she's being groomed by a pedophile, even if she's not being groomed for pedophilic purposes. She is being groomed, and it is by a pedophile. Yeah, if your pastor mows your lawn, a pedophile mowed your lawn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. And, and Noah, you 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 alluded to this, but the the site that she's on is called rmessenger.com. So of course I I went there. Wow. Right? And it is a domain farm in Poland. Right. <laughs> so so what this means is. This movie was incapable of paying the $9 to register, you know, an actual domain name like, I don't know, christianchat.tube. And now that I've said that, I am, if I know Eli at all, he's already reserved and has that redirected to point at porn <laughs> Way ahead of you, Andrew. Well, uh, way I, ahead of I, you. I will say that if there is one theme, like an uh, ongoing theme to the way that this movie was shot, it was didn't have the $9 too, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the the pedophile on the interwebs, which is actually what it says on her screen. Oh, yeah. On, on the interwebs, <laughs> there's little open windows with test patterns on them. They think there are <laughs> test patterns? Anyway, so anyway, so the pedophile says, just make sure that you aren't being a little bitch about it. Right? Like, because she's going, like, all the kids make fun of me and my life is just terrible. And he's like, well, um, you worry about not bothering them then. 
try and be extra nice to them. That that'll help. Everyone knows bullies react really well to displays of weakness. <laughs> well, look, if you weren't allowed to say meaningless bullshit, you wouldn't be allowed to be a Christian. So. <laughs> and what's amazing is internet pedophile he's like what are you good at and she's like i can draw and i'm good at taking care of plants and he's like everyone's good at taking care of plants they grow themselves you idiot draw a picture for someone also stop replying with i'm good at taking care of plants <laughs> all right so yeah so I'm, I, they're enthralled by my conversational abilities okay so i just want to point out eight percent of that video was us reading that bloated, vacuous conversation on the interwebs. I did the math on that. Okay. So now we cut to church. It's one of those churches that has a black pastor and white congregants, you know, from the movies and nowhere else. <laughs> but luckily his sermon is about what that 11-year-old girl is going through. So now it's... Eli, you have a teenage sister. How is it possible that you don't remember what teenage girls look like? Sorry. Uh, well, so, okay, but that's why I thought it was supposed to be the pastor that she had been talking to online. I thought, you know, like maybe he was trying to speak directly to her or whatever. But ultimately what he's doing is just reading the entry for uplifting from the thesaurus. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, my my note here is, uh, can we generic up this sermon a little bit? <laughs> right. Uh. But the key here is that during this sermon, bully girl Cassie hands stuttery girl Jenna an invitation to her birthday party. But don't worry, if you miss that, we're going to spend the next four scenes going over yeah, that. Exactly. Establishing that that's what just happened. All right. But first, we have to have this weird scene where nothing happens in this hallway. Yes. This, this is some of my favorite improv in the movie, though. It begins with... I love the highlights in your hair. Popular girl does not have highlights nope. in her hair. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and ends with, my parents are going to buy me a green car. To which her friend responds, don't you have enough green things in your room? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't really want a car now that you mention it. <laughs> I, and Eli, you said begins and ends with the only line you elided over in that collection of gibberish was, have you been going to the tanning salon? Which comes in between, I love your highlights, and aren't you going to get a car? Like, it is 100% clear that just a random number generator wrote this. <laughs> a random teenager generator. Oh, God. Also, I have to point out that, like, just to reinforce the quality of production we're, we're getting here, they're not really in a school. So, Jen is supposed to be standing at her locker while these girls walk by having this dumbass conversation about the highlights and tan that... Neither of which things Cassie has, but they don't have a locker because they're not in a school. So they've put a padlock on some kind of like Ikea pantry thing or something. Oh, yeah. You can you can still see the BB sticker on the yeah. side of it. Absolutely. Yes, oh. yes exactly. <laughs> this is also where we get the background music here, which uh, oh, I wrote in my God. notes. Did you know Christian rap was a thing? Yep. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote in my notes at this point, and just then, literally nothing happens. Oh, my God, was the point of that scene the dialogue? <laughs> it totally was, too. Because apparently, Jenna went home and drew a picture of, during this conversation, Cassie talked about, no, I'm not going to a tanning salon. I'm going to the beach a lot, right, because I'm cool and popular. And so 
Jenna went home and drew pictures of Cassie on the beach. Yeah. This is the conversation I overheard you and your friends having. <laughs> it, it is it is the first, but by no means the last, like foreshadowing that we get of our protagonist's unhealthy obsession with Cassie. Yeah, no, right. Like if, if your character is drawing pictures of her bully in her bikini, like there's a problem here that we're not talking about, right? Yeah. So, okay. Now we have this uh, the scene with Jenna and her mom. Jenna is telling her mom that she doesn't want to go to this party that she's been invited to. She's starting to suspect that Cassie, the girl who does nothing but bully her, doesn't really want her at the party. Oh, I'm really grateful that you clarified that for me, Noah, because I couldn't hear what they were saying (laughs) over the garbage truck full of snakes that were being dropped through the ceiling of whatever building they were filming this through. Yeah. Oh, gosh. This was this was the first point in this that in which I I wished you had invited Thomas on instead of (laughs) me. But then I was glad you didn't because. He would have had an aneurysm, and I'd be yeah. like a new co-host for opening arguments. So. Oh, the room hiss. And and what's okay? So the thing about the room hiss is it's not just that it's really, really bad, and it is. It's as bad <laughs> as the worst podcast you've ever accidentally downloaded in your life. But it's not equal. So when we go from mom's lines to daughter's lines, we lose. It drops out and comes back just so that you can never acclimate to it. No, no. We cut to the room hiss at one point. Right? <laughs> the camera's like, so do you, do you have something to add to this? Yeah, it's, it's spectacular. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but underneath that, mom explains that, don't worry, I know that person doesn't like you, but I tattled to their mom for you, and now you'll be great friends. Trust well, me. Uh, it's even worse than that. She says, if they're not nice to you, they'll be grounded. That's a great foundation for a friendship, <laughs> isn't it, Jen? <laughs> As somebody who was nine in middle school, uh, let me just say, in case you're wondering, no, not a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who was Noah in middle school, I concur. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Yeah, and uh, so so she says that she doesn't want to go to this party. Her mom's trying to talk her into it. She says, like, also, I'm too poor to buy a decent present for her. Mm-hmm. And then we get the montage that I opened up on on my best worst. This is the mom <laughs> saving money for the gift montage. So here's how they represent this. Mom takes an envelope out of the drawer that says lunch money. She takes the single dollar that is in that envelope out takes out a new envelope, writes gift money on that envelope, and puts that $1 into it. Uh, (laughs) And and then, as if this were Rocky IV, we see a montage of that seven times in a row. (laughs) (laughs) But they made the actress change her shirt. So she's like sweaty and out of breath by the sink. (laughs) 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 Okay. So, first of all, that's not how anything works, right? Like, first, your lunch doesn't cost a dollar. You don't have an envelope sitting in your drawer. What does she have an envelope in there that's just like rent and telephone bills? She's a she's a grown up. She could Gum. carry a purse now. Yeah, right. right exactly. Now. You can carry multiple dollars all at once. But yeah, exactly. And then also like. 
you're forgoing your daily meal so that you can buy a present that your daughter can give to a bitchy girl that's already rich? <laughs> it cannot be overstated what a terrible message this is. Yes. Independent of the Christian stuff, right? Like, we will learn, I don't know, two and a half minutes from now, that the single mom's minimum wage job is hanging by a thread, and she's like, no, 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 I'm like, uh, why don't I just take a couple of lessons from the Greek parliament here? <laughs> it's, it's, it's bananas. Yeah. So, right, and also, look, I don't mean to be all, well, just brew your coffee at home if you're not, uh, if you don't have enough money, but, like, legitimately, if your only way to save one dollar per day is to forego lunch, maybe you move into a one-story house. Yeah, your money is going other different places. <laughs> All right, so now we get a scene where Cassie, the the bitchy girl, has to complain about the fact that she, her mom made her invite Jenna, and she's not even allowed to give her a wedgie. Uh, this was the the single moment in which I realized that, other than us, the only people who have ever watched or ever will watch this movie are the grandparents of the teenage actors who are in it, because it has that, like, Matlock-style pacing of... Now, here's a recap of what you just saw three times <laughs> yes. 90 seconds ago. Like, I, it, if this movie had tried to sell us a reverse mortgage in the credits, <laughs> I would not have been shot. Hi, oh. I'm the actor that played the funds. Do you like soup <laughs> right out of the can? <laughs> so, and then, oh, and then we have to reinforce the same thing again by having the other two bully girls sit there and talk about what awesome gifts they're going to be able to buy for bully girl because they have credit cards <laughs> the credit card is so good also during the scene cassie is literally sitting in front of a sign for anti-bullying month. <laughs> yeah. i wanted an arrow to be pointing down at her <laughs> i'm sorry but like we we cannot pass lightly over this credit card seat because th this this is these two girls are like human lizard hybrids <laughs> like david ike's fever dream imagination going i too am real human hatchling and as proof Here's Telly Savalas' Diners Club card from 1978, <laughs> which I am holding roughly the way Donald Trump holds a Bible. Right? Like, yes, exactly. She's holding it so awkwardly that she gives up on putting it back in her pocket. She looks down at her pocket yes. and is like, the human hand can't get into a pocket in this state. So she just lowers it to her side like it's a sidearm. There's no way from here to there. Yeah, exactly. All right. So then we cut to Cassie's party. Oh, my God. At this fucking backdrop. Oh, it's, it's the second saddest party in history. I mean, the first is Kirk Cameron alone with his Subway sandwiches on Twitter, which is okay. the greatest yeah, sad party. Good. I included that picture in the Thank notes you, yeah. for, uh -huh. just in case Andrew and Noah weren't aware. <laughs> and and that is a delight. I mean, it made reviewing this movie 100% worth it. But there's at least 
color in the Kirk Cameron party. <laughs> yes, right. Like, this is, this is, I, and, and again, if we haven't made this Matlock levels of clear to you, every other line of dialogue has been, you know, calling Cassie the girlfriend of Richie Rich, like the, uh, it, and this party takes place in what I could only describe as the bare white closet in the basement of an abandoned mental institution. <laughs> it's so blindingly uh. bland. It's like the fucking construct from the Matrix. <laughs> it's the Zoom wedding. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so she's opening up her presents, and one friend is like, oh, I got you the Hope Diamond. Hey, just what I always wanted. And then we get to Jenna's present. Now, Jenna's present is wrapped in tissue paper because they can't afford wrapping paper. Tissue paper, more more expensive yes, than exactly. wrapping paper. Yeah. <laughs> it would be so much more expensive to do that. <laughs> Plus, you'd need all the extra tape. Anyway, yeah. But so then she opens up the present from Jenna and doesn't like it. Now, you guys are telling me that, that you could tell what the hell this was supposed to be? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I would like to posit my guess. Andrew, you go first. It's a box. Mm-hmm. Right? Orange the box. Yep. The, the box says, welcome to Beach Cassie, which is... <laughs> Human reptilian hybrid for <laughs> welcome, welcome to the beach, Cassie. Okay, it has a pot in there, so it so it's clearly got her like ability to take care of plants, right? And the mm-hmm. fact that there's carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a drawing of something in there, probably inappropriate to show on the screen. That was how I decoded it, Eli. Also, so we need to point out that the box is a orange carton. Which is very important to me spiritually. (laughs) Secondly, the picture, I believe, is the picture she drew of the overheard conversation of the girl at the beach. And finally, the piece de resistance, the reason why mom has been starving herself, not one, (laughs) but two Christian bookmarks. Was that? Wow, I missed those entirely. (laughs) Oh, they're they're to the right of the drawing. (laughs) Oh, okay. I... I'm sure the audience can understand why I didn't exactly pick up on that. Yeah, <laughs> box of garbage is the right way. <laughs> right, box yes. of garbage. Yes. Yeah. All right, but so the next day, though, Jenna walks out, and remember that she lives right next door to her bully, and she sees that Jenna threw away her awesome present <laughs> in the garbage and left it sticking out so that she could be damn sure Jenna would see it. With a note that says, Jenna's present. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, that was a realistic bully move there. Oh, yeah. No, that was good. We'll give her some bully points for it. Yeah. All right. So Jenna comes into our house all sad. Mom says what's wrong before she even makes it in the door. It's it's the way that we greet Eli by saying, Eli, did you hurt yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Usually there's something wrong, apparently. But this reaction of mom's is fantastic. She's like, oh, honey, don't worry about those bullies at school. This is exactly her response. Don't worry about those bullies at school. I just got fired from my job, so we're going to have to move in with Grandma anyway. Uh, it, it is. I, I, look, Eric Osman and I really, really tried to get Billy West to come on right here to say, good news, everyone. <laughs> sadly, he just mumbled something about one cameo per customer. Mm, but, yeah. but he mumbled it as Zoidberg. So, oh, there you, you know, there we okay. go. But it was that level of like, 
no, we're, time to celebrate. We're we're all dead, poor, flat, broke, and you're going to have to leave the neighborhood. And they do. Well, yeah, and, and the fucked up thing is that she leaves this hanging, right? She says, oh, don't worry, Jenna. You won't have to deal with those mean girls anymore, dot, dot, dot. I'm like, Mom, what did you do? <laughs> all right, movie, you're winning me back. You're winning me back. But then she's like, I got fired from my job, and we have to move in with Grandma next week. I'm like, next, you pay rent by the week there? <laughs> what the hell? Really wanted a flash cut to grandma bullying her. What, 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 what do you want from the lunch today, asshole? Why didn't you win the easiest presidential election in history, you fucking moron? All right, so so then the next day at, at school, the bully girls are talking about how awesome it is that Jenna had to move to the projects where she belongs. <laughs> and apparently one of the girls found Jenna's obsessive Cassie worship notebook that she left laying around. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah we're really glad that the filmmakers decided to, you know, tie that thread up in a bow because we learn that not only does Jenna have pages of prayers about Cassie, but also has drawn, like, lots and lots of pictures. Like, look, this could easily be the prequel to Single White Female. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, it's some creepy fucking shit. But then, but Cassie feels bad, right? Because, like, she's like, wow, it kind of would have been awesome to be openly worshipped, right? <laughs> Just out on some shit there. So she goes and apologizes to, to her imagination. <laughs> yep. She asks God for forgiveness. Note that she does not ask Jenna for forgiveness. No, no. Yeah. The the 100% sincere lesson of this Christian film is, oh, don't even for a second give the tiniest shit about clinically depressed teenage girls. The real victim is Jesus. Yes. Yep. Uh, yes, that's the only person she reconciles with. And then... The floor disappears from beneath our feet, and we give up any pretense of sanity for the remainder of the film. All right, Andrew, I am counting on you. You have read the lawsuits from the Trump team. What the fuck is happening? (laughs) (laughs) You're our only hope. And I will tell you, I had to watch this. I realize in my notes it says three times. I had to watch this four times because my my own notes were like descending into levels of madness of, you know, they, they it's just all caps like what the fuck is happening here? I, I finally <laughs> think I have figured out what the fuck is happening here. OK. And that is we flash forward 90 years in this like the floor dropping out. Right. Mm-hmm. So and, and the reason is because we get an old woman's voice with the same bad stutter saying, I hope my daughter is praying for me while I undergo the operation, which, by the way, like none of that, like did, 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 nothing, that. it was not nothing. set up in any way. It's it's I had to do, you know, Indiana Jones spelunking levels of, yeah. of deep dives to figure this out. And then <laughs> and then Jenna dies. Right. And then shows up in heaven. Yep. And I think. That this heaven, or possibly hell, we'll, we'll get there. But I think that this heaven uses the Titanic rules. So right. when you die, you wake up at the age you were in the movie. Right? And so <laughs> yeah, God exactly. is like, hey, I remember. Exactly. Yeah, we, 
Because uh, we all want to be 15 for eternity. Yeah, well, f- 15 and reliving for eternity the slightly confused feelings you had about the popular girl neighbor. Like, yes. oh, yeah, that's 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 a good way to good one. God, you got me on that because uh, Cassie is there to greet her in heaven. With a cake and no utensil. <laughs> uh, yes, she shows up and she's like, "Hi, I'm your high school bully." And 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 that at that point we all had the, "Oh, she must have been bad in those intervening years." <laughs> she wakes up in, in an itchy field with no adults around and her high school bully. That didn't strike me as heaven, but no, she has a cake and a hug. So. <laughs> I'm just saying, as someone who was a high school bully, I've got a lot of cakes to hand out with people. <laughs> oh, shit, I'm only on the B's. Benson, right? Okay. To be fair, look at yourself. Look at how you looked at this age. So much material. Here's your cake and no utensils. Enjoy really getting your dirty, grass-stained hands into that. All right. Yeah, right. Heaven looked itchy. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, with that, like, honestly, after watching this convoluted, weird-ass descent, I thought to myself, were they going for full-length movie and just then realized that the phone was dying? I don't... <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, that's it. I guess the. <laughs> You know, on that reminder that if you love Jesus enough, Asian teens will hug you when you die. <laughs> We're going to wrap it up there. Andrew, thanks so much for helping us out today, man. Yeah, thanks. Question mark for having me. <laughs> All right, well, that does it for this segment, but I'm sure a time will come again soon when a Christian will have very little to say, and that's the time that we'll be back for another God-awful mini. Before we get back to watching those no-fly list videos on loop, I want to remind you that this time next week, Donald Trump will not be the president anymore. Just soak that shit right in for a second, huh? Oh, that feels good. Anyway, last episode of the Trump presidency. Woo! Anyway, that's all the blast movie we've got for you tonight. We'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be able to look out for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptic Rat, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Monday. An even newer episode of our sister show's Hot Friend, God Awful Moose, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. And an even newer episode of our half sister show, Citation Needed, debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, this show would have been too weak to make it to your feet if I neglected to thank Heath Enright, who... Uh, though not with us in body, was with us in spirit, which is a thing that doesn't exist, should be back next week. I need to thank Eli Bosnick for being with us in body, and knowing Eli, I should also be thanking him for it just being his body and only his body. also want to thank the lovely and talented Lucinda Lusions, though I'm going to refrain from any comments on her body. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's best person, Eric. And and normally I would reserve this spot on the show for thanking all the new patrons. And I promise, new patrons, I don't love you less than I love previous new patrons. I will thank you by name and compliment the shit out of you the way that you deserve next week. But this week I needed to reserve this space for the dude that got us a legitimate Billy West Farnsworth quote. In case you're unaware, that's the voice actor that actually did Professor Farnsworth on history's best cartoon show, Futurama, as well as like half the other characters. So Eric, whose dick is so big it didn't leave room for other compliments in this week's outro, sincerely thank you. Thank the fuck out of you. You absolutely made my day. All that being said, giving us money also makes my day. And if you'd like to do that, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash scathingadius, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode. Or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingadius.com. 
And if you'd like to help, but money's expensive and Billy West Farnsworth quotes are already taken, you can also help a ton by leaving a five-star review, telling a friend about the show, or following at PIATPod on Twitter. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres. Tim Robson handles our social media, and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scanningads.com. Morgan, we have a Billy West Farnsworth quote. It's the greatest goddamn Farnsworth quote ever. And if I thought I could get away with it, it would be the only one we would ever use from now on. <laughs> <clears throat> the preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Warning, the following podcast contains Fs followed by Ux. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Hymns, My Sheets Rock, Adam and Eve, and by exploding tree insurance because holy fuck are his supporters stupid and now the scathing atheist hey there this is jay burley 66 letting you know that as a twitch streamer and moderator for apex legend x cuddy the internet has proved to me that we did in fact evolve from filthy monkey men and women and some of us might be going backwards knock it off September 17th. And it's Constitution Day. Yeah, so we double-checked. Nothing in there about not wearing a mask. Mm-mm. No, nothing about nope. that. Quite a bit about voting, though. Good deal. Yep. I'm no illusions. <laughs> I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from presidential debate podcast host Joe Rogan's New Jersey, <laughs> Cincinnati Swing State, and good husband Georgia, this is The Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, John MacArthur calls our bluff. David A.R. White is going to have to give away half of the money from my free trial at PureFlix for Heath59, wow, you're stupid, this works every month at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> and Don Ford will be here in case the show didn't have enough middle-aged white guy voices. But first, the diatribe. The conservative Christians I know are the most terrified group of chicken little motherfuckers I've ever encountered. Bill O'Reilly tells them the atheists are coming for Christmas and they post armed guards by the nativity scene on their lawn. Their politicians utter the word socialism and they suddenly hide under their bed from their own access to fucking health care. Their preacher tells them a goat monster is going to torture the ghost that operates their brain levers and they give him 10% of their income in perpetuity to make it stop. For years, I've had to be the skeptical voice of reason, as I'm sure many of you have had to be, reassuring my religious relatives and friends that no, that doesn't cause autism. Laws count regardless of how you capitalize your name, and Facebook will not take ownership of all your photos at fucking midnight. I'm always the person saying it's not as big a deal as you think. And I've been correct with a 100% track record on this kind of shit, so I'd love to think that that would earn me some credit, right? If this pandemic has proven anything to me, it is that that is not the case. The most paranoid people I know are all but universally ignoring this very real crisis. The same people that were terrified of Ebola when the nearest case was 5,000 miles away. These people 
with more practice being terrified than anybody else I know. They cannot be bothered to give the barest hint of a shit about a legitimate crisis that's already killed more Americans than World War One, the Vietnam War, and trans people using public restrooms combined. And I sit huddled in my fucking house, having left my yard twice in the last 186 days, desperately pleading with my in-laws to, you know, maybe opt out of the bowling leagues and turkey shoots this year. I can't help but marvel at the role reversal. Their brains are so primed to be terrified of every little thing, and yet here they are in the presence of a circumstance that legitimately merits their fear, and they are fearless to the point of stupidity. Why? Now, it's tempting to explain this away by pointing out the lifelong existential dread their religion forces upon them, right? Like, demons are battling for their souls 24-7. They could wind up in hell, right? I mean, even if they're good, almost everybody they love is probably headed in there. You know, the Great Tribulation is perpetually right around the corner. You stack all of that shit on top of the political angst that conservatives are expected to shoulder, right? The caravan of rapist immigrants, the impending rise of Sharia law, unfettered gay access to wedding cakes, and suddenly you've got to imagine, like, world-threatening events just become a background hum, right? But obviously that can't be the explanation, because they have no trouble whipping themselves into a frenzy over imaginary shit even now. They can still fear. They do still fear. And some of the shit they fear is even real. But they don't fear this. Well, I'll tell you what. One rule of thumb that I find always comes in handy when you're perplexed by Christian behavior is to ask yourself, could there be a sinister explanation for this? And it turns out that in this instance, there is. See, it's not like Christians just all spontaneously decided to ignore this threat. They were told to ignore it. They were ordered to ignore it by the people on high who speak for the author of the universe. Ignoring this threat was handed to them as a test of their faith. And as long as you don't impart any humanity or compassion onto the Christian leaders pushing this, like, damn the virus full speed ahead attitude, it's easy to explain why. Their whole thing rests on their monopoly over your fears. Right? You're supposed to fear hell. You're supposed to fear Satan. You're supposed to fear the secular world beyond the protective walls of this church. You're supposed to fear eternal damnation and sin and the end times and the war against Christmas. You're supposed to fear the things that your church made the fuck up, right? Because imaginary shit is the only kind of shit it can protect you from. If you wake up fearing for your children's souls, your preacher can do something about that. Or at the very least, they can, like, you know, they can do as much about it as anybody else because souls don't exist. But if you're afraid for their health, the preacher is useless. Now, being useless obviously isn't enough to dissuade a preacher all by itself, right? But the pandemic is especially problematic because it isn't hopeless. You know, somebody will save us from this threat. But the Savior in this instance, you know, as in all the other verifiable, measurable instances, will be religion's arch nemesis science. Yeah, I mean, religion, I'm sure, will still take credit for it. Eventually, they'll thank God for the vaccine without a hint of irony. But they'll know they were bested and they'll know that we'll know they were bested. So what do you do right when you know you can't win the contest? You pretend it doesn't really matter. You downplay the stakes from the beginning. You make it clear to everybody around that you don't really care who wins this one. You're not even really trying very hard for this. 
And, and to make that stick in this instance, you have to start pretending the whole threat is overblown early on. Confident that science will save the day before it gets bad enough for your homicidal bullshit to have broad consequences. Right. So their instinctive dodge was to say, sure, a global pandemic that's killing thousands of people a day might seem bad. But when you compare that to the battle for your everlasting salvation, this is really just a scrimmage. Dying from COVID sucks. Sure. But it's nothing compared to burning in hell for eternity. And as frustrating and indeed deadly as that dodge is, it's also an admission, and it's an admission worth celebrating. Think about this. We're in a fight where our opponents feel the need to start making excuses in advance of the match. Something tells me that's a good sign. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast for you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the igneous and sedimentary to my metamorphic heat then right and Eli Bosnick. <laughs> Fellas, are you ready to rock? Let's do this, schist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so much better than mine. I just wrote, I hope you're ready for some jokes that are flaky as shale. Oh, <laughs> Nailed it. I, yeah. I, I too drop. can do <laughs> puns. I'm... No, I can't. I need to go get stoned. So we'll take a quick break for our first sponsor this week. Hymns. Problem. 66% of men start to lose their hair by age 35. Why do guys turn to weird solutions or do nothing when they can turn to medicine and science? Hey, Noah, did my goat paste come in the mail yet? For the third time, Heath, no. Boo, boo. I need it. That's why there's 4hymns.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. It's time to write a new chapter, one in which you have hair. Hims is helping guys be the best version of themselves with licensed medical providers and FDA-approved products to help treat hair loss. No more awkward in-person doctor visits or long pharmacy lines. 4Hims connects you to licensed medical professionals online, which can save you hours completely confidential and discreet. Hey, Noah, Noah, did, um, still, did my go Still goat no. Oh, man. Today, Hims is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy with your results after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. And right now, our listeners get their first visit absolutely free. Go to 4 slash scathing. That's 4 slash scathing. Full refund and price paid available for the first 90 days supply. Refund request must be made between 90 and 180 days after product shipment delivers. Prescription products require an online consultation with a medical professional who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that's 4 slash scathing. Hey, Noah, if you see Heath, tell him that nacho dip his mom ordered. It's terrible. Will do, Eli. Will do. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, we have a quick reminder that there are no types of stupid that Trump doesn't embrace. And in case anybody had forgotten about that, he went full goddamn climate change denier on Tuesday and declared he knew better than all them Scientologists with their test tubes and their bleachers during a press event <laughs> about the eighth of the country or so that's on fire right now. Trump dismissed the unquestionable role climate change is playing in these ongoing disasters and well actually, quote, well, I don't think science knows actually and actual quote. Fuck. Which is so crazy because he was up there with scientists, right? Like, yep. when your shitty uncle says that at Thanksgiving, which, by the way, is canceled this year because of the plague he caused, he's not sitting next to the guy who can be like, oh, do you want to look at my chart? I, I have brought a chart. A chart. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. the guy. 
That guy was also like, uh, take off that lab coat, Mr. President. I said, for sure, we, we discussed it. You're not allowed to have a lab coat. Take it off. Take Krav it Maka. off. Take it off. Krav Maka. Eye poke. So this casual dismissal of observable fact took place on Tuesday, exactly one day after the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration declared 2020s to be the hottest summer ever recorded in the Northern Hemisphere, even though it's technically not even over for another fucking week during a briefing about the wildfires in California. Trump, of course, is busy saying that the wildfires are there because California doesn't sweep their forests enough or whatever bullshit he's trying to sell. And California's Secretary for National Resources, whose job is to know this shit, pushed back. He pointed out that global warming is very much a thing, according to all of the science. And he adds, quote, if we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians, end quote. And Trump's jaw dislocating response was, quote, it will start getting cooler. Just you watch, end quote. <laughs> Fuck is happening. I, I think he's practicing for burning in hell with his followers. Oh, he's practicing. <laughs> Guys, there's thermite everywhere. You got to sweep that up. <laughs> so now, in response, Crowfoot ripped Trump's skull open and fed him his own atrophied fucking brain while the room and indeed the nation cheered him on <laughs> with gleeful abandon. But then he like he blinked really slow and he was still in the room. And question had just been asked. We realized we were just seeing what he wanted to do. But he demonstrated some superlusion restraint and opted and said to simply say, quote, I wish science agreed with you, end quote. <laughs> and, of course, that brings us around to the dumbassery we started with, wherein Trump well actually is all of science. Uh, oh, sorry, what? I, I was blinking really slowly. <laughs> guys, what happened? Did it work? No. Obviously, this isn't the first time Trump has dismissed the consensus of science in general or climate science in particular. He'd been president less than six months when he wiped his ass with the Paris Climate Accord and his rollbacks of environmental regulations will probably eventually beat out his coronavirus response in terms of body count. And at the very same time, he was explaining how he couldn't hear the scientists la la la. Democratic nominee Joe Biden was managing to speak in coherent fucking sentences, right? Like, I mean, he was also addressing climate change with actionable goals and a proven track record of following the fucking science and shit like that. But let's be honest about where the goddamn bar is, at least when we compare the two. Yeah, and hey, if you need help, Scientific American has an opinion. <laughs> yes! This is amazing. First time in 175 years. 175 years! We really just wanted to do picture of birds, but you know what? What the fuck do they know? <laughs> I can't believe we have to fucking do this as their cover. And in MacArthur Grant Me COVID news, California pastor and police sketch of Mr. Peanut's great-grandfather, John MacArthur, <laughs> saw Noah's challenge a few weeks ago to let some people spit in his mouth and raised him a giant indoor church gathering in defiance of court orders. Again. Again. Because, at least according to my neighborhood, COVID is a hallucination that only about a third of the country is having and everyone else is living a totally normal life or dying of it. Yep. Okay, well, you set up like a poker metaphor, and <laughs> there's no cards in this poker game, so we call, and now we get to spit your mouth. That's Great. Exactly. And I'm still social distancing, by the way, so just open your mouth and wait. I'll hit it from six feet eventually. <laughs> 
So yeah, regular <laughs> listeners to the show will remember MacArthur for his constant efforts to fill a giant room with too many people in California since the very beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. Or perhaps, as I mentioned from a few weeks ago, when he used the existence of comorbidity to disprove the existence of COVID, saying, quote, there is no pandemic, end quote. It's gotten to the point where Christianity is as much defined by pretending real shit is fake as it is by pretending fake shit is real. <laughs> That's true. Pick a side. <laughs> That's true. So in spite of being fined a thousand dollars for violating signage laws and in, in spite of a literal judge's injunction against meeting indoors last week, John MacArthur's church went ahead and met indoors again this week, posting yep. photos on Twitter of hundreds, if not nearly a thousand worshipers sitting right the fuck next to each other. And I love how that sign happened for this signage. <laughs> yeah. The church put up a sign <laughs> that says... It's your fault if you come in here and get COVID. We're not responsible. So Los Angeles County taped up a notice right under that sign that said, <laughs> yes, the fuck you are responsible. That's illegal. Here's your bill for $1,000. Wow. One last thing about this story. So MacArthur actually began the service by reading out loud the legal restrictions that are on his church so that Everyone there would know they were breaking the law, I guess. And then he added, quote, obviously this is not constitutional, but more importantly, it goes against the will of the Lord of the church who calls us to gather. Amen? And then no? nobody said amen. Nobody said amen. So then he said, so look at the person next to you and say, I don't know who you are, but I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you. End real quote. Jesus, and say it quick, because the clock's ticking for all you motherfuckers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. And in the cutting pledge news. Nice. Donald Trump, technically a grown adult of 74 <laughs> years, <laughs> failed a kindergarten oral exam yep. last week. Yep. Mm -hmm. During a 9-11 memorial service in Pennsylvania, he couldn't make it past the Pledge of Allegiance without embarrassing himself. Now... <laughs> to his credit, he was able to do the part with his hand on his chest, which is tricky. And, you know, that's tripped him up in the past. But <laughs> he was not able to make it all the way through the entire 31 words of that kindergarten oral exam. And he failed it the best way possible. He left out the under God part. What? And what I love about this is that this was the thing for someone. Yeah. <laughs> someone was sitting at home because of the plague Trump caused, watching this in between news breaks about the world being on fire, and they thought to themselves, ain't nobody forget to wish Jesus a cheers during the America prayer. <laughs> yeah. I'm voting for Joe Biden. <laughs> Maybe he'll lose one vote. Great. So <laughs> normally... This would be a complete non-story for everyone except a few insane Christian people like Eli just described, and also every homeroom teacher I've ever had in school. <laughs> they made a big deal about that. But the timing was just too perfect. In case anybody missed it, Trump accused the Democratic Party of being evil, godless Muslim demons for removing the words under God from the pledge during the Democratic National Convention last month. They did not. That nope. did not happen. There's mm -mm. video of the standard... Christian jingoism chant happening during all four nights of that convention. But now there's also video of Trump trying to mumble along with the pledge <laughs> with his tiny little speaking aperture restricting his airflow. Mm -hmm. 
and then just completely stopping for a second when the undergod part happens. It's not clear what the explanation is, but none of them are good that I can no. think of. So, like, <laughs> either he actually forgot the lyrics for that part and tried to be the guy pretending to go along with the song and couldn't do that part, or he's secretly atheist and didn't figure he'd be on camera while standing on a stage in front of a news crew at a 9-11 memorial as president of the United States, or his attention span literally maxes out at 22 words. <laughs> what else could it be? Right. Yeah, his supporters are now stuck with Minion of the Accursed One or Dumber Than the Average Five-Year-Old, and the right answer is both, but they're not allowed yeah. to admit either. It's pretty fucking great. Yeah, it's a good day for us. Pretty great. And in Air Baphomet and Beelzebub news, Close. author Baphomet Forbes, and Beelzebub, them yeah, too. Yep. Yeah. Author Forbes 30 under 30 marketer and man who looks like he always just won an argument with himself in the mirror, Frederick <laughs> Joseph, <laughs> took to Twitter to complain about an Airbnb he stayed in last week because it was run by Satan. Well, okay, but to be fair, when the GPS directions kept telling him to turn down, he should have seen that coming. Yeah, yeah, that's on him. <laughs> so here's the tweet that he sent out to 93,000 followers. Quote, we just drove three hours, my eight-year-old brother for a getaway, and the house we arrived at ended up having seemingly satanic items and stuff for witchcraft rituals. We had to leave because my brother and the rest of us were frightened. But... At Airbnb won't refund me, end quote. And luckily, he included photos of said satanic items, which include a photo of a lady with her shirt not on, a tiny statue of Baphomet, and a wind-up toy of a dog fucking a lady. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and honestly, it's probably good that that wind-up toy was there because it clearly distracted this guy from the copy of Pale Blue Dot by Carl Sagan that was right behind the toy on the bookshelf. <laughs> yeah. Now, for the record, the host actually offered to remove the offending items, but Joseph insisted on a refund, which he was granted due to the nudity in the picture, which he had failed to mention to Airbnb in his original request. Well, I guess he had originally just emailed that there were witches and Satan at the house he had rented and waited for the money to hit his credit card. <laughs> yeah. There's also a picture of an outdoor tub, like on a porch in the listing. And my favorite part is the reply tweet from this guy's friend that says, the outdoor tub is convenient for bloodletting outside and washing away the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that makes those Cialis commercials so much more sinister, right? It does, yeah. <laughs> it also means his friend is familiar with what's convenient yeah, for Yeah, no, he's thought it through. Yeah. He's thought about that before, yeah. One other thing about this story, it seems that Joseph is only worried about Satan when he doesn't need his help attacking political opponents. So for a guy who could not possibly stay a second longer in a house with a wind-up toy, the Church of Satan pointed out that he actually did tweet at them and request them to curse Trump in 2017. So... He might not stay there, but he's willing to network with the goat demon. Right. Yeah, no, this is not prejudice. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I've got to check and see if there's a Kickstarter or something for cursing Trump. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our second sponsor this week, My Sheets Rock. Okay, Heath, how is this? 
Okay, no, no, no. I'm telling you, I think we need to go back to the left ankle. Now, the I'm whole not, thing feels off. I'm not going hey, back guys, to it. Guys, we should. Why are you using angle. a compass to tuck Heath into bed? Oh, got no choice, Noah. I mean, we don't want him to be too hot or too cold. Yeah, exactly. That's the worst. So I'm telling you, like two more degrees on the right thigh, and I think we got it. Uh, okay, okay, but why don't you guys just use the bedding brand I discovered? It's called My Sheets Rock. My Sheets Rock? Yes, and they do. This company has reinvented the sheets game. Their sheets keep you cool so you'll sleep better than ever. My Sheets Rock created the regulator sheets, which are designed specifically to keep hot sleepers cool and colder sleepers comfortable. That's because these sheets are made from the best bamboo rayon, which transfers body heat two times more effectively than regular cotton sheets, so you can experience your best night's sleep yet. They sent us a set to try, and it's like sleeping on a cloud. A cloud that cares about my comfort. Wow. I've always wanted a cloud to care about my comfort. But Noah, what if I don't believe you? Don't believe me? Their five-star customer reviews speak for themselves. Huh. Plus, they offer a 90-day risk-free trial and free shipping and returns. Check out My Sheets Rock at MySheetsRock.com slash scathing and enter our code scathing for 10% off and free shipping. That's MySheetsRock.com slash scathing, code scathing. All right, Eli, just uh, put put the compass away. I think we can just use... My sheets rock. Fine, but the winch set stays. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I can still use that. A man wrote the Bible. A horse, which was. If it's a legitimate race. It's a slut, right? Hey, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. So that list of crimes against humanity that the Trump administration hasn't been credibly accused of is getting really hard to see with the naked eye, huh? And since there's so much shit I could be referencing when I say that, I suppose I should specify that I'm thinking specifically of the whistleblower complaint that an ICE detention center in Georgia is performing mass hysterectomies on Spanish-speaking detainees. This allegation comes from one Don Wooten, who filed a complaint on Monday alleging, quote, jarring medical neglect, end quote, like refusing to test symptomatic detainees, falsifying medical records, and failing to take minimal precautions to keep known cases of COVID-19 from spreading. And as if that's not terrible enough, the complaint also includes details of one doctor at the facility that's performing an abnormally high number of hysterectomies, often on patients that said later that they didn't understand why they were getting the operation or even what exactly was happening. So, yeah, I know I'm supposed to try to mix in a joke here and there, but holy fuck. There's a point where I just can't bring myself to summon a pun and forced sterilization is way over that line. The complaint quoted several unnamed detainees interviewed by an advocacy group called Project South, including one woman who said, quote, We've questioned among ourselves, like, goodness, he's taking everybody's stuff out. That's his specialty. He's the uterus collector, end quote. And another who summed it up by likening the center to, quote, an experimental concentration camp, end quote. Now, at this point, we're only talking about allegations, though there are similar stories from several detainees. So far, the reports don't mention any physical evidence. So, sure, there's no way to know at the moment if this is actually happening and to what extent it's happening. But regardless of how this shakes out, we've reached a point where our government, you know, the one we pay for, is accused of a form of genocide, and our general conclusion is, yeah, that does sound like our government. 
And, oh, in case you're wondering, yes, the Irwin Detention Facility where this is happening is less than 70 miles from my house. Just like the Ahmaud Arbery shooting. The Christian leader who slapped that reporter's ass that we talked about last week. And a story about cops shooting at a car full of kids that you probably didn't even hear about because all the horrible shit down here drowned it out. Because the universe has conspired to remind the world that I live in the geographical asshole of America. So after a heavy-ass humorless story like that, I owe you some kind of good news. I looked far and wide, and the best I can come up with is a law in Queensland, Australia, that priests now definitely have to report child sex abuse that they hear about in confession. Though there's no word if that counts shit their guilty consciousness tell them about. Also, international pariah and hype man for Lady Chore Stephen Anderson finally got kicked off of YouTube, y'all. But if that isn't enough to cheer you up, I get it. So one last piece of good news. If I ever snap and go anti-misogynist superhero, it doesn't look like I'm going to have to put much mileage on the Twinmobile to make a difference. And with that fanfic story prompt, I'll hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. Next up in headlines, we have a story about Jesus Christ, Moses, Nat Turner, and Candace Owens. Hmm. And, of course, the only person who could connect those dots is... Presidential candidate Kanye West. That is true. Yes. Here's the uh, the yarn between those pushpins, as far as I can tell. Kanye is quite certain he's the reincarnation of an important historical figure, but he can't seem to decide on which one. It looks like he's got it narrowed down to either Jesus, Moses, Nat Turner, or possibly a combination of all three, and also... He's a big fan of Candace Owens, who is horrible. <laughs> uh, well, look, I mean, he's at least as much reincarnation of Nat Turner as he is presidential candidate. So why the fuck not? Maybe, you know, maybe you can run for reincarnation of Moses. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, honestly, that's so much less dangerous than his current plan. Right? <laughs> we can bring him to a wave pool, turn it on when he waves his hands. Fun for the whole family. Absolutely. So as most of you already know, Kanye is running for president of the United States, uh, mostly in Oklahoma, one of the only states where he's on the ballot. And with his campaign trail being pretty compact, that gave him plenty of time to be the physical embodiment of cognitive dissonance this week, as he is wont to be. On one side of his brain, he's fighting for the black community, which is great. But on the other side, he's a Christian fundamentalist who thinks he might be Jesus and recently performed a Sunday service concert from the middle of a lake in Georgia, <laughs> appearing to walk on water. And the video is pretty amazing. He walks out into the middle of this lake to meet his gospel choir, and he's he's trying to do this big dramatic entrance and be all magical, but his kids are angrily walking on the water with him oh. down this stupid ramp just below the surface, and they're my fucking favorite it's the best he's like behold it is i kanye and i shoulder checked by my six-year-old son okay <laughs> okay you got me there Eat. you got daddy <laughs> so last week the two sides of kanye's brain smashed into each other never and he started thing. tweeting about it first he refused to make any more music until he's released from his contract with sony and universal adding on god in Jesus' name, come and get me, skier emoji. Uh, no idea about that last part, but the message seems to be that lots of musicians in the black community are making big money for mostly white executives. 
That's when he described the music industry as slavery and declared himself both Nat Turner and Moses of the Bible, you know, for helping free slaves, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a little grandiose, but again, there's an important message in there. But then he completely ruined his good message by tweeting, thank you, Candace Owens, mm-hmm. and recommending her new book about how the Republican Party is super helpful to the black community. And that was right after Owens did an interview with Blaze TV and described the affirmation of transgender kids as the literal work of Satan. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out it doesn't really matter if Kanye cleaned up graffiti earlier in the day. That's not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to be fair, saying that you're freeing the slaves by fighting for a bigger chunk of your millions of dollars while throwing (laughs) the most vulnerable kids in our country under the bus is a way better representation of the Republican Party than an elephant. True. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we can get that in a single cartoon, (laughs) but yeah. So this is what happens. When religion worms its way into politics, you get someone like Kanye, a billionaire, literally a billionaire with a huge platform and good intentions. Yeah, generous. But some good intentions. (laughs) But then he becomes a fundamentalist Christian and starts hanging out with that group of people. And whenever he starts talking about fighting for racial and economic justice, those people tell him about how Donald Trump was chosen by God. And he gets all confused and he starts wearing safety slippers for a toddler and endorsing bigots. His his heels get hurt because the the slippers are way too small. Yeah. New rule between Trump and Kanye. I think we need a salary cap on presidential candidates for a few years. Might do us some good. For all the years? That would be nice. Just all of them. And in you got to be cranny in me news. In today's terrifying (laughs) landscape of misery and bad news, sometimes it's good to sit back and be grateful for the good things in life, like puppies, marshmallow peeps, and Ukrainian homophobes who blame COVID on gay people getting COVID. Yeah, and just for the record, that's by far the most coherent section of Eli's vision board. (laughs) (laughs) So listeners may actually remember Patriarch Filare of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, who blamed the pandemic on gay marriage, saying the virus was, quote, God's punishments for the sins of men, the sinfulness of humanity, I mean same-sex marriage. That's <laughs> the marriage part that he's focused on. Okay. Yeah, I guess Phil Array spent a little too much time thinking about gay marriage for God's liking because his church confirmed that the 91-year-old has been diagnosed with COVID on Facebook this week saying, quote, we informed that during planned testing, His Holiness Patriarch Filaray of Kiev and all Rush Ukraine tested positive for COVID-19. Now His Holiness Bishop is undergoing treatment at a hospital. End quote. The only possible conclusion here, then, is that he was secretly gay married. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I know that all of us here at The Scathing Atheist are wishing Filet of Fish all the best in his recovery. Oh, but, sure, you know... Sure. Just in case the 90-year-old doesn't beat this thing, these things happen. Pretty sure he's going to be greeted by God and her life partner at the pearly gates. So <laughs> that's going to be awkward. Oh, this guy's perfect. You're going to be our lawn gnome. Great. Just, uh, stand right there. And in broadside of a Barna news tonight, Christian pollster George Barna has been making the rounds to whatever SPLC-listed hate group will have him, desperately blaming the relative lack of Christianity for all the national problems that Christianity has created. 
And it differed from the suggestion that we end partisanship by all becoming Republican, only in that it didn't rise to that level of theoretical effectiveness. Yeah, uh, obviously, he wants us to put our right hand in and take our right hand out way before we all join the theocratic ethnic state he's in charge of. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely agreed, Eli. Republicans should all take the Gom Jabbar test from Dune. Yep. <laughs> oh, two, two votes. Two votes. Gay fear is the mind killer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start with his recent appearance on Washington Watch, where an ambulatory hate crime Tony Perkins invited Barna to opine on why everything is so inescapably terrible under the leadership that they advocated for and continue to support compared to anyone else who has ever been in charge of anything ever. And Barna explained that it was because of America's profound spiritual deficiency. That's right. The wildfires, the pandemic, the racial tensions, the cratering economy, the civil unrest, and the naked corruption that have characterized the most evangelical administration in American history is because it wasn't Christian enough. And thus, Ooh. the solution to those problems, obviously, is to do the exact same thing they did to stoke all the problems in the first place, but harder. He might as well say, not enough gender reveal parties. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> So Barna was surprisingly candid when he followed this up on Wall Builders Live, a show hosted by anal fungus removal specialist David Barton. Hey, I'm tied with him when it comes to being honest about what his profession is. During that discussion, <laughs> he pointed out that if you want kids to buy the kind of bullshit Christianity is selling, you really have to nail them down before they can outthink the evangelical worldview. Yeah. Quote. A person's worldview is going to start developing at 15 to 18 months of age. Interesting. <laughs> it will be almost fully formed by the time they reach the age of 13, end quote. Yeah. So, yeah, he just straight up admitted that by the time they can, like, name objects and picture books and stack rings from largest to smallest, you have missed your cognitive window. <laughs> okay, well... This is why I made sure that there is both a zip liner and a mango nectar baby flashcard for my son. No matter how many times Anna rips them up, I keep adding them back in, throwing them back on there. And finally tonight, in white wedding news. Yeah! A very, very tragic tale of D-list star crossed lovers is finally coming to an end. David A.R. White and Andrea Logan White, the Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker of the Christian stage, they're getting divorced. <laughs> so David cited irreconcilable sharp face and Andrea cited irreconcilable permanent dampness. Uh, they both mentioned severe lack of talent. And despite making a career of judgmental Christian movies with very toxic messages, including one called Marriage Retreat that's literally about the sin of divorce. Yep. They're officially splitting up and going to hell. Aww. Wah, wah. Don't worry about losing your wife, Davey. I'm, I'm sure Jerry Falwell Jr. has one you can use. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Dave, I feel like your secret plan for Christian movie groupies is not going to pan out like you're hoping, bud. I don't... <laughs> I think it's going to go well. All right. Well, here's the announcement we got from David A.R. White about this tragic news. Uh, you know, it's a very dark, solemn moment in his life. Sure. So he fired up Instagram and posted <laughs> the following. I pray you're doing well during these uncertain times. Thank and you. And that each day 
you're reminded of the constant and unwavering love of the Lord. Okay. And now that he's firmly established that 2020 is evidence of the loving God of the Bible, he also <laughs> added, we'd appreciate privacy in this matter that I'm telling you about on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Hashtag David's privacy. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, originally he tried to get this somber announcement on Chris Evans' meaty log, but they couldn't come to a sponsorship <laughs> agreement, and so, whole thing. <laughs> so... Divorce, you know, it's obviously a, a very uh, a difficult blah, 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 fuck you. <laughs> fuck David. Yeah, yeah, this is the guy who founded PureFlix. <laughs> fuck you. Yes. PureFlix is responsible for God's Not Dead, about how atheist philosophy departments banned metaphysics from this country's academia. I had to listen to the fucking newsboys because of this. <laughs> I had to hear a band in the park covering the fucking newsboys and realize that I know what song I'm hearing right now. <laughs> that had to happen to me because of this. They also made Brother White about literally taking up the white man's burdens. Yeah. Seriously, that's what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in fairness, Pure Flix also gave us Revelation Road 2, in which <laughs> former NFL superstar Brian Bosworth yeah, okay. explodes a moving car with a mystical atheist warhammer, yes. flipping it through the air over and over. It's actually a moving car. He smashes it. Do you guys remember? Oh, so good. I can't think about anything uh, else. Possibly the greatest mo moment in movie history. But yeah. then they also made Unplanned, about the fucking shop vac with a wood chipper that they have at Planned Parenthoods. And... <laughs> Now David's asking for privacy and consideration. So, no. Yeah. No, absolutely not. You're a monster and a hypocrite. No. And that means we're going to go ahead and put 30 seconds on the clock. Oh, really? Speed Ooh. roast, David A.R. White, go. All Ooh, right. The wind's um, good. The uh, wind is good. You look like somebody left their Owen Wilson fucked all on their dashboard. Uh, <laughs> producer, writer, husband. Who'd have thought the thing he'd turn out to be best at was acting? <laughs> uh, you look like surfboard cancer. Uh, Ooh, you, know, yes. you have the physique of a pile of laundry that seems like it should have tipped over by now. <laughs> uh, you look like you gave up the Backstreet Boys for youth ministry. <laughs> you look like a failed audition for the middle of an evolution chart. You look like wet sandals smell. Uh, David's so two-faced, people flip him to make difficult decisions. <laughs> You look like your goatee transplant is rejecting your face. <laughs> your your haircut looks like it was done with that shop back wood chipper from Planned Parenthood. <laughs> uh, uh, David's hair is so bad his salon had to change their name to Just Okay Cuts. Um, I I don't like your movies. They're, they're, bad. You, they're bad movies. Bad you have, you have very little talent. Movies. Oh, I got a good one. You're a filthy adulterer condemned specifically in Luke 16, 18, Matthew 5, 32, and 9, 6 through 9, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11, and 15, Romans 7, 2, Hebrews 13, 14, and Mark 10, 22, among others. Uh, you look like you tried to negotiate your parental visitations with Puka Shell. <laughs> um, you look divorced. Face. All does. right. He does. Well done. So I guess now we are to this week's headlines, as Andrea Logan White is to David, because we're ending it there. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. Actually, we ended it amiably, so the uh, fucking analogy breaks down. Anyway, we, we, when we come back, Eli will learn that the first eight books were the good parts of the Bible. <laughs> hey, podcast listener. You know, whether you escaped from religion yesterday or 20 years ago, you probably have some weird mental hang-ups about your down-there parts. 
That's right. From homophobia to transphobia to kink and slut shaming, religion is full of ways to make you scared of your wetlands. And that's why we'd like to take a moment right now to officially give you permission to buy yourself a sex toy. That's right. You. Buy yourself a sex toy. And I know what you're thinking. Me? A sex toy? No way. Yes. Yes, you, and yes, way. No matter who you are or what you're into, there's a sex toy for you. But don't go to the sketchy vape store slash sex shop at your local mini mall. Buy sex stuff for your fun bits at adamandeve.com. Adamandeve.com is a sex-positive online retailer that'll sell you a sex toy and send it right to your house on the down low. They've got reviews, recommendations, and helpful information that you can view from the comfort of your computer. Plus, you can get almost any one item 50% off when you use our code SCATHING at checkout. And best of all, assuming you use your sex toy with consenting adults, we can personally guarantee that you aren't doing anything wrong, you aren't weird, and you deserve it. Yes, you do. So get your literal freak on at adamandeve.com. And don't forget to use the code SCATHING at checkout for 50% off any one item. adamandeve.com. Because sex toys are real, and God is not. Hello, I'm Mitch McConnell. I'm Susan Collins. And I'm Ted Cruz. And with Election Day just 47 days away, we're asking you, please don't vote. We all represent states that are generally considered solid red or solid blue, which is great for us because it means that you won't vote and we'll get to keep our jobs. That's right. See, our secret is, while you're not voting for president because you think your vote doesn't matter, there are dozens of way closer races and referendums that you're also not voting on. But you know who is voting? The people who elected us. Yes, the people who elected us are such reliable voters that we can dedicate pretty much our entire election effort to voter suppression because we know that our supporters can probably overcome the blocks that we put up. And we're betting that you, yes, you personally, probably won't vote. So whatever you do, don't order that mail-in ballot. And don't check your registration status at youhavetovucking.vote.com because we like things just the way they are. And if you don't vote, that's the way they'll stay. That's youhavetovucking.vote.com to check your registration because all we need to win is for you to do nothing. We've now made it through three of the oxymoronically titled historical books of the Bible in skit form. This is the section that exists because something had to connect the Pentateuch to the wisdom books and Jews hadn't invented yada, yada, yada yet. And today we set sail on 1 Samuel, the start of a six-book stretch that is somehow repetitive compared to yada, yada, yada in this month's installment of Bible Peace Theater. All right, you guys uh, ready for the next book of the Bible? I, Samuel. Um, no, no, it's 1 Samuel. Right, yeah, because there's two. Well, 1 Samuel 1. Wait, there's two Samuels? 2 Samuel. Right, there are two. two. There are two. Well, okay. there's two twos, one after each Samuel. So two Samuel 1s after each Samuel 2? No, two Samuels 1st and 2nd, both of which have a 2. Ah, so you could say two's on first Samuel. Thank you so much. Okay, so what happens in this one? All right, so once upon a time. 
Uh, why, yeah. why are you on my lap? You said once upon a time. Okay, fair. I did. All right. So once upon a time. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah. Are you guys both comfy? Yes. I make a living. Right. So once there's this guy named Elkanah who he had Went over. two wives. Just stop. Stop. Stop hitting. No hitting. He had, two, he had two wives, Hannah, who hadn't borne him children, and Penina, who had. Uh, Penania. Okay. Definitely not pronounced that way. You want Melania in the sketch or not? Okay. Yes. Yes, I do. Melania. Ah, my wives, Hannah and Penina. The time has come to make our sacrifices. Just said it, baby. I'm going to blow the grassfish like it's one wedge to Greg. Yes? Is that a possible answer to what she just said? Yes? Yes. Grinkle crack Joe. <laughs> oh, Hannah, what's the matter? Oh, I'm just crying because I haven't given you any children. Oh, come on. Aren't I just as good as children? Um, well, that's a weird thing to say to your wife. Okay, um, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Here's an extra portion for you to give to God. You know, because he closed up your womb. Oh, gee, um, thanks. And, and because you're my favorite. Uh, I'm a standing crack here. Yep, you sure are. Would you rather I cheated on you with a porn star while you give birth to our first son? You know what, that's fair. All right, now, now dry those tears and ask God for a son, huh? Okay. God, if if you give me a son, I'll I'll make him your servant and I'll never ever cut his hair. Please, oh please, oh please, oh please, oh please, oh please. So then Eli Yes. Uh no, actually the the character is named Eli. Oh, nice. This is Eli. Yeah, so he's a priest. Um he sees her praying and he thinks she's drunk. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Oh, please okay, lady. Come on. Please. On you get. What? Come on. What? Come on. This what? is a place of worship. What? Uh, seriously? Seriously? You're drunk at the tabernacle. No. Cut it out. No, no, no. I'm not drunk. I'm praying. Oh. Ah, <laughs> yeah. I, I knew that. I was just, yeah. you know, because a pregnant lady drinking would I'm not, be. I'm not pregnant. Hmm? Oh, yes. No, I knew. I, of course you're not pregnant. You're just. Nothing? No? Uh, Not going to fill that in? Anyway, uh, hey, what's that? Oh, God just told me your prayers are going to come true. Oh, oh, they are? Oh, hooray. Yeah, so that I think should clear up any second now. Wait, what what I think? Jeez, can you people wear a sign or something? Right, well, drunk mistake or not, the next morning Hannah conceived a son, and soon Samuel was born. Well, how about that? A son. I bet you're pretty happy. I sure am, husband. And just as soon as he's weaned, I'm going to give him to God. Sorry, wait, you, you're going to give the son that you prayed for to God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like I promised. So, so you prayed for a son so that mm-hmm. you could just give birth to him and give him away? Well, when you put it that way, I... I did not think this through. No, you did not. Eli. Eli. Hey, yeah. What's up? Oh, hi. It's uh, it's I, lady. What? I mean, praying lady. What's, hello, praying hi. lady. Yes, hi. Um, well, 
I prayed for a son and I got him. Oh, that is great. Yep. Yes, God, God sure and, is. And now he's yours. 